Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 228, Fiziev versus Gamrot, also known as UFC Vegas 79. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing today? Doing all right, man. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's been a long weekend. We're wrapping up the weekend today. Uh, I've been ex- extremely busy. Um, not some responsibilities for sure dog some responsibilities outside of sure dog i'm not gonna lie i'm kind of feeling it i'm, I'm looking forward to wrapping up the this week because after that we have a we have a week off i'm really looking forward to that uh but how are you doing man i'm i'm doing all right and i feel all of the above like obviously we generally end up talking for about six hours a week and so i'm generally apprised of what's going on with your schedule. And I know that sometimes you're torn between your responsibilities to the city of Pawtucket, responsibilities to the family, of course, responsibilities to uh, SureDog. We just finished at this point, less than 24 hours ago, talking about Noche UFC, which for a fairly low stakes card outside of obviously the title fight in the main event, had a lot of talking points for an 11 fight card. Uh, At the very least between that, card and this card we have a pair of 11 fight cards there aren't any of those 15 fight slogs that the ufc visits on us from time to time yeah uh rather than our usual what letter grade would you give this card since somebody inevitably complains uh, to us in the comment section about that i'll throw this one out there who on this card is closest to a title shot if they win on saturday oh that's a good question let me think um Man, I don't I don't know if anybody's really close. Closest? Man, I, I want to say Marina Rodriguez, but she's she's lost a couple in a row. I, I mean it's probably gotta be the main event. It's gotta you know, even the hey, Gamera. Gamera. I mean Gamera's got a little bit of a win streak. It's Gamera. Uh I mean Fazi's just lost to Justin Gaethje. Uh Mitchell's coming off a loss, Danny Gay's coming off. Yeah, it's it's I'm I would tend to agree with you. And I'm glad that you first thought of Marina Rodriguez and then stopped yourself because that was my first thought too. Well, Marina Rodriguez is always in the title picture, but then I I was like, no, she's lost two in a row and they're giving her not to tip my hand, but a pretty blatant bounce back fight in the form of Michelle Watterson, who's lost three in a row. Uh, Yeah. yeah. It's tough when you have a lightweight or men's featherweight bout as your top bout because it can be a great fight between two yeah. really, really good fighters. <laughs> and know. just by the nature of the division, neither of them's that close. No, uh, and, and it's a fantastic main event. I mean, I, I know you don't want to do a letter grade, but I'm going to do it anyways because, like, like, fuck that guy. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. I think this is a good card. Like, it's it's not a sexy card in the sense, like, ooh, this person wins and they get a title shot at. But stylistic matchups – uh, you know, there's maybe one or two fights that are easy to pick. There are a lot of them are hard to pick. The main event is good. There's no way the main event's boring. Uh, either you have a, you know, crazy strike-up affair or you have a, you know, like fantastic scrambles on the ground and everything. Kind of feel the same way in the co-main event. You know, so, yeah, I, I think this is a good card. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's – and – it's not as though this card is especially stronger on paper than last week's card, but I I almost feel like I'm judging it by a different standard because, again, so much about Noche UFC felt like a 
pay-per-view card light. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The big you, deal. Yeah, they, did they I made about say, it. Did they even say the grade? I'll give it like a B minus. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you get? B minus or C plus. It, like the undercard, it, there could be quite the cut list on, on this one. I mean, yeah. ne- never say never when Daniel Miojo da Silva <laughs> is still dodging bullets in the UFC after last night. But Tim Means and Andre Fialio are both on three fight losing streaks facing each other. Cody Brundage is stepping in on short notice on a three fight losing streak. And I think that's a smart move on his part because he knows that by doing the UFC, the solid of stepping up and and saving that fight, basically, his job might be safe even if he loses. Jake Collier has plummeted back to earth. He's on a three fight losing streak, taking on a short notice opponent in Muhammad Usman. Depending on how things break, there could be quite a chillin' and Duffy cut list on yeah. Saturday night. Uh, but the fights themselves should be pretty interesting. Uh, interesting stylistic matchups. Some people we haven't seen in a few minutes. So, yeah. yeah. So I was looking at the card and I was going through the prelims and, and setting my notes in order and everything. And at first I was like, oh, my God, this might be an F for me going through the prelims. But then I get to the main card and I'm like, oh, I like that fight. Oh, I like that fight. And then I just started. It, it got better. It reached my expectations. It's not like at first, you know, what it was like. So I've been watching uh, Better Call Saul. You ever watch that show? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I've been watching it. But, I mean, here and there, a couple of 15 minutes here and there. I, I'm, I have the worst. I'm the worst at watching TV shows. Like I watch 15 minutes and I'm like, all right, I'll watch another 15 minutes tomorrow or something. I'm not, I'm not a sit around and watch for four hours kind of person. But someone was telling me like, oh, Better Call Saul is so good. If you like Breaking Bad, watch that. I watched it. I'm about, I don't know, season four of it. I'm like, when, when does this show get good? <laughs> I don't know. I don't get the hype. I don't know. It, it's in the same universe. It has some of the same characters and they kind of yeah. hark back to points from breaking bad but the feel of it is much much less oh, intense yeah yeah, it did, yeah it's boring anyways <laughs> <laughs> better call um, let me go over to hbo and and watch something on that because i know that'll be good there you go oh uh any other general thoughts on this one before we dive into the prelims yep let's do it all right the opening fight at UFC Vegas 79 is a women's bantamweight matchup between Montserrat Rendon and Tamarez Vidal. Rendon, the 34-year-old Mexican, is a perfect 5-0 as a professional mixed martial artist. This will be her UFC debut. She comes in having fought most recently almost exactly a year ago, getting a split decision win over Brittany Cloudy in Invicta. She had a, a couple of outs scheduled in Invicta late last year that did not pan out uh, for various reasons related to her. And then in the interim, she was picked up by the UFC and finally makes her debut here against Vidal. Uh, Vidal, 25-year-old Brazilian, is 7-1 and overall. She's 1-0 in the UFC. She debuted last November, finishing Ramona Pasquale in the first round with a flying knee. So uh, she's looking for her second UFC win here. She is favored to get it done. She's minus 240, Rendon plus 200 on the comeback. Uh, Montserrat Rendon is kind of an interesting case as uh, a late starter. I, I can't even call her a late bloomer because I'm not sure she's bloomed. and I'm not sure she's going to bloom, but she's a late starter. Uh, she is a grappler by background, uh, has some competitive grappling in her background, uh, mostly at the blue belt 
through brown belt level, though she is a black belt now. She did not even debut as a pro until I think she was 30 or 31 years old. In MMA, I mean, she definitely wants to grapple. The thing she has going for her, she's, she's big and strong. Uh, you look at her and she's got this frame that you would associate with, I, I don't know, like the, the Holly Holm type thing where she is tall, she is muscular, uh, she is powerful when she gets her hands yeah. on women. Her striking looks really slow to me, and it—I mean, it's not a—it's not a complete mess. There are some grappling transplants that, you know, it's just flailing and crashing into their opponent and hoping they end up on the ground. She seems a little more buttoned up than that. She she does, you know, try to throw, the, you know, a respectable repertoire of strikes. Does try to keep her hands up and protect her face, but in practice, like. I feel like so many people we talk about on these undercards that are less experienced and come from a grappling background, it really is a means to an end. Uh, she's not, she's not a submission whiz by MMA grappling standards. She's very strong and she's been pretty positionally sound when she's able to haul women down, she's able to set up shop on top and, and stay busy there. She has some pretty effective ground and pound that I think could be more effective and maybe will be more effective once she gains in confidence and once she realizes that even at the UFC level, she's bigger and stronger than these women. Uh, and I think it's the thing I said about Ben Askren a, a, a couple months ago on this show. Once she realizes that she's a good enough top position grappler that she can, <laughs> she's got a whole free hand that she's not punching people with, uh, she might make that adjustment. Uh, here against Vidal... I don't know if she should be a two-to-one underdog, but Vidal is almost 10 years younger. We just saw last week at Noche UFC why the younger fighter wins so often when there's a greater than six-year age discrepancy. But uh, Vidal, she's a good athlete, and she's powerful, and I could see her just coming forward and you know, clipping Rendon with a haymaker or Rendon trying to take her down and Vidal just kind of brute force pancaking her and ending up on top and having her in all kinds of trouble. So even though Vidal is a super raw fighter here, uh, like Rendon may actually be a more technical striker, even though she's not a striker. Uh, I, I think Vidal's just a more complete MMA fighter right now, probably has higher upside. There's a better chance that she's improved in the 10 or 11 months since we've seen her than that Rendon has improved in the year since we've seen her. So I'm cautiously going with Vidal here and I'm going to say she gets a decision win where Rendon is not able to get this fight to the ground as she wants to. Maybe she ends up on bottom and gets busted up a little bit by Vidal or just gets stuck on the feet and gets kind of mauled, but not super high in either of these women, but I, I will go with the favorite here. Give me Vidal in, kind of a sloppy decision win <laughs> yeah this is <laughs> this is a weird I, I was i was thinking about this when you were you were breaking down and you're talking about how you know these are low level people and you know generally speaking we get stronger as the card goes up imagine if other sports were like that like like a baseball team the first inning had to be played by 
you know, the, like the class A team, the second, you know, then the triple A comes in in the fourth inning. And like that, that, that's the only way to figure out who really has the best organization, you know, or I, mean, I, I, I guess, I guess relay races do it that way. Like, you know, you can, you know, the four people running, like you, you get stronger, but uh, it, it'd be kind of cool if, if all the sports did it that way. Uh, um, so I love that we have a Mexican. I love that last week, you know, the Mexican card, we had a bunch of Australian people fighting on the Mexican card a week after the Australian card. Now we have Mexicans fighting on the, on, on the you know, the not the Mexican card in yeah. Las Vegas a week after the Mexican card. It, it, remind, it reminded me of a story when I was in college, college age. And uh, me and my friend like went to a party at another friend's house and, uh, get there like 11 o'clock at night 10 30 something like that we show up we get the booze we're like all excited we show up and like he had this like porch in the front and there was no one around we're like where the hell is everybody she really called him and he's like dude that probably was last night <laughs> they came for on the wrong date <laughs> <laughs> so so anyways it gets the all oh, the story gets better dude so me and my friends were like there was two folding chairs but two and we had these other like these girls meeting us so we're like hey just keep coming we stayed on his porch and hung out and then we called up a couple other people, and a couple other people came. By the time the guy got home, there was like twelve of us hanging out on his front porch, having a little party. <laughs> so, the guy was working UFC Vegas seventy nine, folks. <laughs> the guy was working at like the movie theater. And he came in at like one a.m. and there's twelve of us just hanging out. So, I think we got in a fight too. I think we had like a women's fight anyway. So, um, yeah, Vidal. I mean, she's only twenty five years old, which you know I like. She's not a great athlete, though. Like, she's a minus athlete. I mean, which is kind of ironic for me to say, considering her, she won her USA de- debut by flying switch knee knockout over Roman Pascal. Uh, but you know, other than those like high, like flying stuff she does, she's kind of plodding and flat footed moving forward. Doesn't really. Hey, cut she was fast with Ramona Pasquale. Yeah, <laughs> that's not saying much. Uh, she tends to attack with with single strikes. She loves winging o- her overhand, but she overextends and leaves herself to be countered. Uh, she does hit hard, and she's not even in like the stages of her career where she's you know going to really pack on some power. So that's something good. I mean, she rocked Pascal a few times before the knockout, uh, but she throws a lot of na- naked leg kicks. She's going to be countered there. She will wrestle. But she won't set up her takedown attempts. Uh, she, she's good at closing the distance and looking for body lock takedowns. But, it, it, you know, it's nothing spectacular. Uh, she will catch a kick to get the fight to the ground. She has two submission wins. Uh, but I've, I've seen her on the regional scene, like, jumping for guillotines and stuff, which, you know, I, I, I don't like. Uh, she also, like, will look for leg locks, which, I, you know, I don't like. She did get a, a heel hook submission on the regional scene, which is which is good. Uh, but she's one of these ones. She'll, she's willing to lose position to get the submission, and she isn't some kind of wizard on the ground where it, you know it's like okay, I understand it. Now, Rendon, it's like it, it, you know, when do you ever get excited about a 34 year old making her UFC debut? You know, um, I think you broke it down well. The first thing that jumped out to me is like her body. Like she's a ripped, she's ripped. Like, um, and I think Holly Holm. I think that was a good comparison because she's l- l- lanky. Like she's not like stocky. She's lengthy, but that's like ripped too. It was like uh, very impressive, but she's kind of stiff on the feet. Uh, she does have good output. I like that. She works behind a jab, really um, crisp jab. Uh, she throws straight pipes, straight punches down the pipe, but she's, it's very labored. Like it just, it doesn't seem like it comes natural to her. Now she has, she has some power. 
Uh, she likes to close the distance against fight the crowd, but again, she isn't a wrestler. She's definitely more of a, more of a grappler. But the problem is, for someone who is a grappler, she doesn't have a submission on her record. So, um, this is a very tough fight. I'm I'm not really high on either fighter, but it's kind of my rule. When I'm in doubt, I lean toward the younger fighter. So, and I'll go with the fighter that has more more upside. So, give me Vidal. I say she wins by split decision. Next up on the UFC Fight Night 228 undercard is a strawweight matchup between Mizuki Inoue and Hannah Goldie. Mizuki, the 29-year-old from Japan, is 14-6 and six overall. She's 1-1 one one since joining the UFC as a former Deep Jewels strawweight champ, a former Invicta strawweight challenger. Uh, and a side note, it's it's wild that Mizuki is only 29 years old because she's been kind of a contender and well-traveled veteran in those lower weight classes for so long. But the thing is, she won her first deep Grand Prix when she was 16 years old. It's like she's just been doing this at a relatively high level for almost half her life. Uh, but at any rate, uh, she joined the UFC back in 2019. Uh, picked up a win over Wu Yanan, had a loss to Amanda Lemos, and then she's been gone for three years. So she's finally stepping back into the cage here, still not even 30 years old, and she will be facing off against Goldie. 31-year-old Floridian is 6-3 and three overall. She is 1-3 and three since joining the UFC out of Season 3 of Dana White's Contender Series. She fought most recently last July at... Uh, the UFC London card that was Blades versus Aspinall, where she was part of the mythical stardom rise of Molly McCann, as she was one of the two fighters that got spinning backfisted back to back by McCann. Uh, she was been gone ever since, so a 14 month layoff. Uh, but she's back, and she is not favored to get back on track. As Mizuki is a minus 275 favorite, Goldie plus 225 on the comeback. Man, Mizuki. We're going to talk a little later on this card about Michelle Watterson, and we'll kind of laugh, ha-ha, about how ironic it is that her nickname is the Karate Hottie, but functionally at the UFC slash Invicta level, she's a better wrestler than anything else. Mizuki is that taken to the logical extreme because she comes from a karate background, and alongside her initial forays into, like, the deep jewels, uh, tournaments and stuff she was doing shoot boxing in japan like she is explicitly from a striking background and she has zero knockouts and nine submissions on on her record because despite the fact that she calls herself a karate fighter and she wants to be a karate fighter uh she is a grappler in mma it's what she's best at and the problem is she's kind of a finesse grappler who is subject to getting bullied by stronger women that's exactly what happened to her against Verna Janjiroba back in Invicta. It's what happened to her against Amanda Lemos in, in the UFC. And because of that, I'm really wary of this line where she's almost a three to one favorite because almost the only thing you can say for Hannah Goldie is that she is strong as shit for a flyweight. You look at her and she's got the Ariane Carnalosi thing where she's got muscles on her muscles. She's got deltoids and traps that would make most men jealous uh goldie is she's not much more than an awkward striker she's not as good a wrestler as, as you would think from her physique 
I mean, she's been, it's hard for me to get past her getting just torched by Deanna Belbitsa because Deanna Belbitsa is a good kickboxer whose kickboxing never really carried over to high level MMA, except against people like Hannah Goldie. So just watching her just blister Goldie from range and Goldie being unable to get inside on her, unable to get her head out of the way of just repeated head kicks. And then of course, getting spinning back elbowed by Molly McCann. Like Goldie is not good, but she's not good in ways that don't really line up with things Mizuki Inouye does well. Mizuki Inouye is not going to spinning back elbow this woman or, or lance her with head kicks. This is probably going to turn into a fight where Mizuki wants the fight on the ground. And that's the one place where Goldie is kind of best set up to resist her. I'm going with a fairly substantial upset here. I don't think either of these women have much upside in the 115 pound division, especially after both being off for over a year and in Mizuki's case, being off for three years. But I've seen Goldie more recently. Her strengths and weaknesses are a known thing to me. Give me Goldie to win a fight where maybe we get a lot of clinching against the fence. Mizuki's trying trips and body locks and arm drags to get Goldie down. It's not working just because Goldie is strong and has a, has a low base. And yeah, we just get stuck with the two of them mauling each other against uh, the fence or when they're, they're striking in the middle of the cage in a way is not going to be able to punish her the way people like Belbitza or even McCann were. So give me Goldie to kind of win a nip tuck decision here, get a pretty big upset and yeah, just kind of show that neither of these women are probably going to be top 15 fighters at any point. <laughs> so in a way, it's been off for three years. Like she's really late to the party. It's like, <laughs> Holy Christ. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know what's going on with me tonight, but uh, what you were talking, <laughs> I started thinking, about, I, I, I have a friend, Josh, that I tease him about this story. This story was no lie like 20 years ago. And uh, I'll I'll, fi I'll figure out a way to transition it <laughs> to this fight in a second. But uh, I was at a bar, and me and my friend Mike Foster. Me when I was like 19 years old, I got up my first apartment with my friend Mike Foster, and, and my, my my best friend Josh. And me and Mike went out to the bars, and we met these like sorority girls. And I was like, everything was going good. They were sorority girls from this little college called Johnson and Wales in, in Providence. And everything was going good. And I like convinced this girl to go back to the apartment, we'll hang out. You know, I got the pool table and, uh, you know, everything was. But somehow it didn't turn into one girl go back. It was one of those like seven girls went back to her apartment. Like, like, like an entire sorority went back to the apartment. But listen, I'm not trying to pretend I was Hugh Hefner. All right. <laughs> so let's just get that out there. It was more of those like <laughs> watching out for your friend. Or, You're not leaving us kind of thing. And then somehow we, we convinced it. So my friend Josh comes in. That's why I always tease him. He like just broke with his girlfriend. He's all like sad, and he shows up to the apartment. And it's me, Mike, and seven sorority girls, and his dumbass just was like, "Hey," it was like all pouting, and just went right into his bedroom. And I'm like, "Dude, what the fuck?" <laughs> like this, this is a movie. I'm like, friend of the year. It felt like uh, it felt like in uh, I felt like Fredo in Godfather One when uh, when Michael comes down to Vegas to to visit him and he's got the band playing and the girls and he just tells me get tells me to get out and and threatens Mo Green. 
but it's Anyways. it's but it's it's not the part where like they meet Fredo down in Mexico and like they go to the donkey show and shit. Like okay, no, yeah, no, oh. no. You know what I'm talking about? Where? Yeah, where, yeah, totally. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah okay, like Mo yeah. Green's getting the yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways, oh, uh, never, never how, take how sides does, against the family, Fredo. God, how, how does that fit this story? Um, Hannah Galdi was probably in the sorority. She was probably one of the girls. <laughs> <laughs> see your buddy could have saved her from alex nicholson but he didn't there you go josh <laughs> why not um all right obviously i'm joking about hannah, hannah goldie I, I mean we talk about ripped <laughs> you know i'll tell you right now hannah goldie i mean she ain't pounded sam cole at 1 a.m during the recap show like i am like <laughs> she's you know she probably doesn't even own her own car she probably just like rides a bike at, everywhere she goes or something yeah. or or you know she, no, she probably rollerblades like not even riding a bike or, or she's freaking maybe she's hopping on a pogo stick to go to the gym or something like uh you know she's she's just one huge massive muscle uh she's she's a good athlete she moves well she has a very in out style striking where she can hit and move quick hands but she, she for someone who's so ripped she actually lacks power uh she's mostly like throwing arm punches she also pulls her head straight back and, and pulls her punches which loses some of her power she's got a good kicking game uh taekwondo background she does keep her chin too high in the air though and, and pulls her head straight back which is what's an issue uh her her she's a weak defensive wrestler um and she hates like being pressured she wants to keep her distance but she's not a as you mentioned she's not a bad grappler herself I, you know uh she got you know, she got beat up by Belbita, but she got two takedowns in that fight. She took down Molly McCann. Uh, she was taken down by Emily Whitmire, but to her credit, she submitted Emily Whitmire. Uh, I am a little worried about her chin because she was recently, not recently, but she was knocked out by Molly McCann. Now, in a way, in a way, she's not a great athlete. She, I mean, she really struggled with the speed of Amanda Lamos in, in her last fight. But she pressures a lot. She pressures, she makes, she closes the distance. She's very aggressive on the feet. She tries to press her opponent back towards the cage. She uses a lot of feints, kind of bob and weaving back and forth to kind of get in her range. When she gets in the pocket, she unloads. She likes to brawl. She throws a lot of hooks. She works the body. She also lacks power. And she's a very hittable. Like she, you know, because the way she comes forward, she's going to eat some shots. But to her credit, she's pretty durable. Like I've seen her eat some shots and keep going. She gets to the clinch. I like her in the clinch. I mean, good dirty boxing, knees, elbows. Uh, she will drop down on the hips. But most of her takedowns kind of come from the upper body, though. Uh, she's definitely not a wrestler. She's more of a, a grappler. But she's a serious submission threat. I mean, even even on her back, if you put her on her back, she can get subs off her back. So it, it's hard to trust in a way due to her being out for so long. But if she's if she's the same fighter as she was, I'm going to disagree with you, respectfully disagree with you. I, I think the pressure gets to Goldie. I think she closes the distance. I think she eventually gets to, to canvas. And I say she catches a submission. I say in a way by second round submission. All right. We have our first disagreement of the card. Stick around to see if we get more. Next up, the heavyweights take the cage as Muhammad Usman steps in on relatively short notice to face Jake Collier. Usman, the 34-year-old Nigerian-American, is 9-2 overall. He's 2-0 since joining the UFC as the heavyweight winner of The Ultimate Fighter Season 30. He defeated Zach Pauga last August to win that distinction, then came back this April and took a unanimous decision over Junior Taffa. He will look to make it three in a row against uh, Collier. 
Collier, a 34-year-old Missouri native, is 13-9 and nine overall. He's just 5-8 and eight in the UFC, and he's just 2-5 and five since moving up to heavyweight. He, of course, has fought at middleweight and light heavyweight, but he's been at heavyweight for the last several years. He's 2-5, and five, and he's on a three-fight losing streak, those being a decision loss to Andre Arlovsky last April, a second-round knockout at the hands of Chris Barnett last September, and a decision loss to Martin Budai this April. So Collier looking to snap a three-fight losing streak, perhaps preserve his uh, UFC job. He had been scheduled to fight the debuting uh, Walter Walker, who he's the Titan FC heavyweight champ right now. He's about 25 years old. He is an absolutely titanic Brazilian, and Collier was pretty clearly a setup fight for for Walker to debut in the UFC with a big splash. But uh, Walker had to withdraw. In comes Usman, and Collier is still nonetheless the underdog here. Usman is minus 155 or so on most of your books. Collier out there around plus 125 or plus 130. Keith, I, I, th I think you'd agree with me that Usman has already accomplished more than we thought he probably would at the UFC level. Uh, given how he looked in his PFL appearance uh, a couple of years ago. But tell me how you think this fight goes, and tell me if you think Usman has any legitimate upside in a division where, hey, no. anyone anyone is still four, four wins away from the top ten. No, absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> Neither one of these. Like, this is the bottom arrow uh, of heavyweight. Um, man, I tried to think of another party and story instead of talking about this fight. Uh, well, dude, I'm still interested in the last story. I mean, when you told me seven uh, girls showed up, I thought, does it end with, with – Keith being Alex Oliveira, he's got like seven kids by these seven women, and people are blowing them up with grenades on New Year's there's, Eve. Yeah, there's a little, little redhead, my little redhead's running all around Providence, all Johnson and Wales. Um, uh, yeah, well, I just say that I, I didn't score with seven women. I'll say that. Okay. Um, not, not that I would ever disrespect a woman like that, anyways, because I have the utmost respect for for all women and. and you know, even at even at like one o'clock in the morning, I guess when I'm going back to my apartment, it's because I want to make sure they're okay, they're safe there. You know, yeah, no, no other reason. Mo <laughs> um, uh, Usman, Jesus Christ, this guy sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's, oh, I, I, I gotta stop saying that because you know what? For two reasons, one, I mean, they're human beings. They're trying to make a living. He's got a nice story. You know, he's dad and everything. So I, I got to I gotta remember the human beings. And two, I got to remember, uh, sometimes I cover the UFC for sure, dog. I don't want to get beat up by these guys. <laughs> That's a big boy. Uh, he's, uh, he's he's a low-volume striker. He's He throws a lot of single strikes. He's a counter-striker, throws wild looping shots. He He's trying to end the fight every single strike thrown. Uh, he, sometimes he kind of just ducks and, and throws um, kind of like it's like a Jerry Springer moment with oh. it, you know uh, <laughs> he he does have power I mean he's I mean you just look at the guy he, you know he, but he's hittable he doesn't move his head uh, I go back to the Eduardo Perez fight where he was getting his legs kicked out uh, against a very low level heavyweight now he can wrestle I mean he's, he's a new he's, he's Kamaru Usman's brother so obviously he can wrestle uh, he likes takedowns from the clinch, though he doesn't really set him up. And when he gets a takedown, he's not active. I go back to the junior top fight. He was on junior, junior top for like 13 to 15 minutes of the fight or something like that. And I, I still thought he lost because he just lays and prays. Uh, 
Um, and and I don't know about his durability. Like even like against a guy like Mitchell Sipe on, on the Ultimate Fighter show, like he was hurt bad in that fight. And I thought, I think it was a fight. I don't remember. I think that was the fight I thought he lost. <laughs> so uh, I could be wrong. But there was one fight on the show I, I think I thought he lost. Move over to Jay Collier. Man, this guy, just when I thought he was turning the corner and, and being something that, like, wow, he doesn't look like he's a good heavyweight, but he's actually pretty good, um, then, he's, then he just has a look good. Like, I thought he beat Andrzejowski, but then he looked horrendous. He looked horrendous against Carlos Felipe. He looked horrendous against Chris Barnett. He looked horrendous against Martin Budai. Um, I mean, the Budai lost as age well, but still, the biggest issue in those fights, he gassed out against all of those guys fast. And he's a volume striker. That's his thing at heavyweight. He throws a lot of volume. Well, you can't throw a lot of volume if you can't sustain it. Um, he's like a <laughs> I, I ran I ran cross country once for, for wrestling. And uh, yeah, I was a football player. But my, my senior year, I was like, man, wrestling's my, definitely my best sport. And I, I don't want to get hurt. And so I decided I'm going to go off cross country. So I have the, the, the best cardio where it goes right into wrestling season. And like my first race, I'm looking at all these skinny little, I'm thinking that I'm, I'm sizing all these little skinny cross country guys up. And I'm like, I beat everyone. These guys asses, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I came out like a bad at hell. I, it was like, it was like a mile and a half in and I was in first oh, place. I, I was oh like, boy, and I'm like, <laughs> Oh yeah. I think I, I finished, I think I finished like 17th, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I met my coach. I come around the car. My coach is like, Jay, like, come on, keep, keep it up. I'm in first place. I'm like, man, cross country. This is easy. I can just run. You got a bunch of, you guys suck. <laughs> this is my first time ever doing it. Yeah. I think it was 17 people. I think it was only 16 in the competition. And I finished 17th. I don't know. I, I didn't finish last, but I definitely finished like middle of the pack in that race. You, uh, you got, you got there right before Montserrat Rendon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice job. Nice job. Um, the problem is, so he gassed out bad. Now, he's a volume striker. He's a very boxing-heavy guy. He throws tight inside shots. I, I like the variety of striking. Like He's got he's got a lot of weapons with his hands. Uh, uh, he works behind a good jab. He follows with combos. He works the body. You know, he'll, toss out, he'll toss a high kick for heavyweight. He'll also blast the body with kicks. Uh, he's got a weak, he, he's got a high guard defense, which uh, you know wrestling style, which I mean, obviously with box style, you expect a lot. Uh, he can wrestle, and and we've seen him wrestle a little bit against Chase Sherman, but he hardly ever uses his wrestling. I mean, he's he's yeah, he's no Bo Nickel, and he doesn't have the cardio to wrestle that long. So that's that's another reason. So I actually don't want him to wrestle. This fight, this fight's not good. I'm not high either. I swear Collier is the more skilled fighter, which is ironically, like if you just showed a picture of these two guys and go, who's got more skilled, like people left. Like obviously who's been. Uh, I just I can't trust his I can't trust his cardio. But Usman isn't good either. So I'm gonna say this is an extremely ugly fight. Uh, this guy keeps burning me, but I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna say Collier wins. I see he wins a boxing match. Give me Collier by split decision. Yeah, I feel all of that. And the funny thing is you you sized up most of what I wanted to, but yeah, Collier, his gas tank seemed to be okay despite the physique, but that's gone. The that that impression is gone. And I'm not sure if it's that his cardio's gotten worse or he's just finally getting into fights that that expose it. But yeah, it's it's not good even by heavyweight standards. And the funny thing is 
despite, as, as you mentioned, the eyeball test between these two, Usman's gas tank is terrible too. Uh, he's one of the guys in the division probably least well-equipped to take advantage of Collier's gas tank because his isn't good either, but he almost seems to burn through his gas tank honestly. He burns through his gas tank by overthrowing all of his punches and trying for brute force takedowns, both, both which are basically the two most exhausting things you can do. Throwing a huge haymaker and missing especially is exhausting, and trying to take a 250-pound man down by bending at the waist and trying to lift him off the ground is the other. I just ask Alexander Romanov. Here, I agree with you. This is going to be an ugly fight unless it's over within the first two minutes. If this thing goes past the midpoint of the first round, it's going to be one of those ones where both guys are sucking wind and neither has enough left in the tank to finish it. And if we get a finish past that point, it's probably we end up getting just a big man topside submission where just one guy lands on top and locks up an Americana or an arm triangle choke or something because you can do that without having to move too much and just, yeah. Uh, I'm leaning Usman here. Yeah, I'm going to go with the slight favorite just because he is the harder hitter, like strike for strike, even if Collier throws a better variety of strikes and throws better volume. And if Usman can get a takedown, especially when he's relatively fresh, here's hoping he'll do more work from on top than he did against Junior Tafa. But if, if even if he does it, then he cruises towards another questionably deserved decision win like he did against Tafa. So I'm going to go with Usman by decision here, but I wouldn't be surprised if Collier gets it like you said. In fact... The only thing that would really surprise me out of this fight is if there's a third round and it's good. Next up, we head to the middleweight division as Jacob Malkoon spins the wheel of changing opponents and it looks like it's going to stop on Cody Brundage. Malkoon, 28-year-old Australian, is 7-2 overall. He's 3-2 in the UFC. He is coming into this bout off of a win. He fought most recently last October at UFC Fight Night Grasso versus Araujo. Uh, where he took a unanimous decision over Nick Maximov. That's how long it's been since Jacob Malkoon fought. Last time he fought, it was headlined by uh, Alexa Grasso in a title eliminator. At any rate, Malkoon had been scheduled to face Ali Ashkab Kizriev. He had to withdraw. Malkoon had then been scheduled to take on the debuting Robert Brychek. Brychek had to withdraw as well. So Brundage steps in on short notice and relatively short turnaround to fill the gap. Uh, Brundage is a 29-year-old from Michigan. He is 8-5 overall. He is 2-4 since joining the UFC as a veteran of Season 4 of Dana White's Contender Series, though he lost on the Contender Series. Uh, he was eventually re-signed. Uh, he comes into this fight, again, 2-4 in the UFC and on a three-fight losing streak. Uh, he has dropped back-to-back-to-back fights against Mihal Olegshechuk, Rodolfo Vieira, and Cedricus Dumas. Uh, the most recent of those, the Dumas fight, was in June. Brundage uh, accepts the call here to step up on short notice, perhaps wisely, knowing that the UFC is less likely to cut him if his fourth loss in a row comes on, you know, when he's doing the promotion a bit of a solid. And if he wins, well, better yet. According to the odds makers, he does not need to worry too much about winning as Malkoon is one of the biggest favorites on the card. He is minus 500, Brundage plus 350 on the comeback. Uh, 
Keith, Cody Brundage is on a three-fight losing streak. Yeah. And the UFC is doing its best to allow him to rise to his level because you go from Mihal Lekshechuk, who has top 10 upside, to Rodolfo Vieira, who's dangerous but flawed, to Cedric Dumas, who's one of the worst guys in the division, and now he's got to step back up against Malkoon. How does this yeah, fight look? Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> um, I mean, I know it was, you know, a change of opponents and all that, but um, yeah. How about how about I do this? How about I, I give my prediction first, and then you know what? Let's skip. You know what? I, I was going to change it up, but now I'll keep it. I keep it like I was. I know what I do. Malkoon is a very high IQ fighter. That's one thing that's really impressed me. He he knows his best avenue victory, and he always puts himself in that situation. His striking has really improved since he first joined the UFC. He's a high output striker who marches down his opponents with a lot of pressure. He attacks with combos. His hands are faster than I thought, um, especially early in the UFC. Chris Jab, uh, you can see, he can look for his overhand a little bit too much, uh, which you know is something he needs to change up. But he's he's got some I'd say plus power. He constantly attacking. You know he he doesn't cut angles well. He kind of constantly attacking on a center line. That's something that. that would keep him from being elite in the division. And he doesn't have much of a kicking game. That's another thing that, that I don't like. But he's like the next tier down. If he wants to make that step up, there's some things he needs to add. He's a really good wrestler. Uh, he can shoot through your hips. Uh, sometimes he doesn't set it up, which is which is an issue. Uh, but he's even when he gets sprawled on, he's relentless to get the takedown. Uh, he's, he, he'll get in close. He'll, you know, close the distance. He'll grind in the clinch. Uh, he loves to snatch singles. Uh, he got a bunch of takedowns. I mean, go like Al Hassan. AJ Dobson, even a guy like Brandon Allen, he got takedowns on. He's got a very strong top game, uh, more of a control before looking for submissions. I mean, go back to like the AJ Dobson, he just smothered him on the ground. Now, Brendage uh, on the feet, he's this like karate style striker. He hands, hangs his hands low. He has some decent pop in his hands when we saw that against Adolfo Vera. We saw that against Trayshawn Gore. Uh, I say because of his karate base, he has a lot of kicks. He throws kicks kind of everywhere, he throws a lot of question mark kicks. He has a wrestling background, but I think his wrestling is grossly overrated. I mean, you know, um, he will shoot and he'll get takedowns, but often he gets sprawled on and he doesn't cut angles well, uh, and he kind of stays on bottom. I always go back to that. I mean, it's been a while now, but I go back to that Dolce Lombardo fight, like a guy who's got weak take defense, you're in deep, and he's still like he was holding onto a leg and just getting eaten shot after shot being underneath. Uh, I mean, he struggled to get. S- s- Drikas Dumas down at the last fight, and and that's like one of the big weaknesses about Dumas. Now, even when he got the fight to the ground, uh, he needed to improve his control. He couldn't keep Dumas down. He, uh, he's a weak defensive wrestler. I mean, go back to the next Maximov fight. Maximov turned him into a takedown dummy, and then he makes it worse. You know, against Dumas, he was kept jumping for a guillotine and giving Dumas the top position. Uh, he struggles to get up from the bottom. He's gassed out in the past. I mean, the Dumas fight, he took days notice, but still, like that's. I can't get him a pass on that because he he got he slowed down against Trayshawn Gore, he slowed down against Adolfo Vieira. Uh, it's funny because you know I don't look at the betting odds. We, we've we've said that many times. I don't look at betting odds. I don't want to be influenced by them. But <laughs> I kind of guess, and I and I was thinking that uh, I I knew Malkin was going to be a favorite. I knew he was going to be probably pretty hefty favorite. But I was thinking like negative two seventy or something like that, and I was going to go on a rant. <laughs> saying how like we get all these lines so out of whack and these huge favorites and they're not making Malkoon this huge favorite. I was gonna go off on that, but good for the Osby because I that's how much of a mismatch I see it as. I I see it as a five to one favorite. I mean, you got one of the most intelligent fighters in the game against one of the guys 
that's constantly making boathead moves. I'm surprised, you know, Mr. Amanda Bobby Cooper is still in the UFC. I I think I think Malcolm batters him on the feet. I think he takes it down at will. I think once Brundage gasses, I think Malcolm finishes him. Give me Malcolm by second round TKO. I'm gonna say he does it with ground and pound. Yeah, yeah, you kind of took the words out of my mouth for on just about every point here. And I'm glad you mentioned that Brundage's wrestling is uh, overrated because I'm one of the people who overrated it for like far too long into his UFC run. I was like, well, he's a former college wrestler and he looks wrestly. You know, it's the, the Drew Dober thing. He's like, well, he's from the Midwest. He's kind of got cauliflower ear and he's a, you know, for a middleweight, he's kind of a stocky, broad guy. He's, yeah, he's yeah, he looks like a wrestler. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he looks, looks like wrestling. It. He looks like he Drew looks, Dober. <laughs> yeah, he looks like Drew Dober. Like the, or the original looks wrestling guy, you know, uh, Nate Marquardt. Yeah. You know, where he just yeah, looked like the ultimate, oh, this dude, he's from Wyoming, and look, that's his ears. Yeah. He's got to be a great wrestler, and it was the worst part of his game. Uh, he definitely knows Kill Citizen. Like, oh, yeah. definitely buddies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, you, you said it all. Like, on full camps, fully prepared for each other, this matchup favors Malkoon greatly because Malkoon's a smart fighter. He's going to know he is by far the better wrestler. He's going to know he has the better gas tank so he can afford a war of attrition. Just making Brundage fight off the takedown, wear his weight, stay busy enough. Yeah, like everything in this uh, kind of favors Malkoon. And if Brundage does stuff like trying to defend takedowns with uh, guillotine, like he did against Cedricus Dumas, this might not even make it to the second round. But as it is, I'm with you. Give me Malcoon to pick up a TKO on the ground over an already exhausted Brundage after a first round that was already pretty one-sided. Next up, the welterweights take the cage as Tim Means takes on Andre Fialio in a match of two gentlemen that could really, really, really use a win right now. Means, the 39-year-old New Mexico native, is 32-15-1 with one no contest overall. He is 14-12 with one no contest uh, across two different stints with the UFC. Since returning most recently, he's 12-10 with one no contest, and he's on a three-fight losing streak. Uh, since last June, he has lost back-to-back-to-back fights to Kevin Holland, Max Griffin, and Alex Morono. The most recent of those, the Morono fight, was back in May at UFC on ABC, Rosenstrike versus Almeida, where Means uh, succumbed to a guillotine choke early in the second round. He will look to get things back on track against Fialio, a gentleman who also is looking to snap a three-fight losing streak. The 29-year-old from Portugal is 16-7 and seven with one no contest overall. He's 2-4 and four since joining the UFC uh, after already having been through Bellator, PFL, UAE Warriors, uh, made his debut in the UFC, uh, but he's currently on a three-fight losing streak, all by knockout or TKO. He has lost to Jake Matthews, Muslim Salikov, and Joaquin Buckley. The most recent of those, the Buckley fight, he got iced with a head kick in the second round. <clears throat> that was at UFC Fight Night, Dern versus Hill. The odds here? favor the younger man he is minus 210 or so means plus 170. Keith with Tim means I I feel as though we've been talking the same about him for the 
goodness, I think three years now we've been doing the show together. Uh, he's had surprisingly good survivability into his late 30s and even as he pushes 40, just because he has a game that never really depended on fast twitch athleticism anyway. He was always adept at kind of slowing down fights to his pace, clinching with faster fighters, sometimes clinching with shorter fighters. You uh, very astutely kind of use him as the perfect example of the tall fighter who uses it to fight inside effectively. And just between that and being unbelievably tough and game and pretty smart and wily, he's had incredible survivability long after his modest physical gifts ha have abandoned him. But we do seem to be coming to the end of something here. Submission defense was always kind of his Achilles heel, but it's, you know, it's gotten to the point where, you know, Paul and Morono both uh, <clears throat> tapped him out pretty easily. Uh, his durability and his gas tank, both of which used to be completely unquestionable, are starting to abandon him. He never needed super fast twitch athleticism to make his offensive game run, but he slowed down to the point where he is less effective on offense than he used to be. Like one of the problems with his three fight losing streak is that there were relatively few moments where he could do much to his opponent or had them in any kind of trouble. They just, it was just kind of a, a grim march to the end, whatever it was. Against Fialio, that could spell trouble. The thing about Fialio is it's hard to believe he's still only 29 years old. Just, I had already, I, I realized now that I had already written him off at like age 25 or 26 as someone who was never going to make it to the UFC. And then he made it to the UFC and he got a couple decent wins. And then things would come crashing back down to earth. <laughs> I'm not saying he's as good a fighter, obviously. But there's something about Andre Fialio that makes me think of like the beginning of Robbie Lawler's career and the very end of Robbie Lawler's career with all the good parts in the middle cut out. Like, because early on when I saw him in Bellator, for example, I thought, oh, this guy's a good boxer with huge power. He's super young. This guy's going to do big things. And then he kind of disappeared for a while, went into some wilderness years, shows up in the UFC and gets a couple of brutal knockouts and all of his fights are real fun to watch but he's already kind of looking shop worn and shot short of his 30th birthday his chin seems to be gone and granted muslim salikov and joaquin buckley both hit like trucks but i have the feeling that his loss to jake matthews is not going to age well uh here fialio at least doesn't have to worry about that kind of numbing power out of means. But Fialio, when I say that in his current form, he almost feels like end stage Robbie Lawler. It's that the durability has deserted him and he's grown a little gun shy in the way that Lawler has been in, in his last five or six fights as well, where on some level he realizes that he's not going to survive the firefight and he becomes hesitant to engage because of that. I'm really tempted to take means as the underdog and just trust means to eke out a narrow decision and force Fialio into a Tim Means style fight where instead of, you know, Fialio just chucking means off and 
trying to land bombs on him in boxing range, he allows himself to be clinched, allows himself to spend 80% of the fight like touching the cage with his back to the cage, just getting elbowed and kneed in close range. I can't do it, man. I can't I can't pick Andre Fialio to win this fight. Give me Tim Means to perhaps keep his job, perhaps send Fialio packing, but give me Tim, Tim Means to have one last gasp, one last decent win, and uh, turn this into a Tim Means fight. Uh, I think this is going to be a frustrating one to watch. It'd be a more fun fight if this turned into an Andre Fialio fight, and they were just throwing down in the pocket and somebody was dead in three minutes. But I don't think that's what we get. I think we get a Tim Means fight. Get means probably like eking out a split decision because it's hard to judge the rounds. But uh, give me means to win two rounds out of three here and uh, and pick up an ugly win. Yeah, this is um. So this is a fun fight in the fact that um, yeah, they're both action guys. So yeah, are they both declining? Both hasn't looked good recently. Yeah, they have. <laughs> they you know they've they've looked poor, but um, they both kind of bring it. You know, uh, Tim Means, he's southpaw, very weak athlete. He's definitely more technical and smart than than explosive. But he's long and lengthy. The counter-striker with high guard defense. He's got a good output. Uh, he's, he's a builder. He gets stronger as the fight moves along. Good kicking game. Loves deep kicks. Good calf kicks. Uh, he tends to throw a lot of uh, kicks um, that he follows up and, like, follows it to go into the pocket. Uh, he loves getting inside and just letting his hands go. Uh, and, and kind of draw it out of brawl. He he can slow the pace down and grind a little bit, as you as you mentioned. Uh, he can wrestle a little. Uh, definitely wouldn't call him a wrestler, but he you know he'd get in there and you know he likes to grab like an underhook and then like pinch down on the, on the knee or you know knee tap or some something like that. He's been in so many wars. And it might be getting to him, and then obviously you know his his background as a person before MMA. You know the, what what does that that done to his body and. Being that he's like almost forty years old, that you know it's hard to trust him. His chin, his chin seemed to fail him a little bit against um, Max Griffin, and I was surprised at how quickly he was submitted by Alex Moreno. Like those those two losses, uh, even though the Max Griffin fight was, I think it was a split decision. It really shouldn't have been. Uh, Fiello, he, he's a pocket boxer that also likes to counter strike. He's he's pretty technical. He keeps everything tight inside. Uh, his counter. Right hand is a beautiful shot. He loves that check left hook. I mean, he blasted Cameron Van Camp, which, I mean, it's Cameron Van Camp, but, you know, one of the best knockers I've seen. Serious power. Uh, and the, and he, he draws so much power because he keeps his base under him. Dude's got 13 KOs in his career. He's got defensive issues, though. Due to his boxing style, he likes the pillar. Um, Salikov was blasting him with kicks up the middle, and he had no answer because he was just pillaring and keeping his, you know, his hands up so high. I am worried about his chin, and he's been knocked out a bunch of times in the past, including his last three fights. I've said this before about him. He could sneak in a takedown or two, and you don't, you know, we think of Portugal, we don't think about wrestlers, you know. Um, but he can wrestle a little bit. He's got some fast entries, some good takedown defense, but he does struggle to get back up to his feet. Uh, this is a tough one because it's it's so hard to trust either guy. Both teams declining fast. Means is definitely the more intelligent fighter. Like I could see him doing Tim Means things. Um, I flip flopped and I've, I've thought about just that factor counting out guy like Tim Means out. 
But Fialo, I, I, I still trust his power. I, I still know he has some power, and he's a decade younger <laughs> than means. I'm going to say Fialo, I, I think he keeps his job in the UFC. I think he gets a knockout. I say he does in the second round. Next up, and at least as the card is currently constituted, the top prelim at UFC Vegas 79 is a men's bantamweight matchup between Dan Argetta and Miles Johns. Argetta, the 30-year-old New Mexico native, is 9-1 with one no contest overall. He is 1-1 with one no contest since joining the UFC as the outgoing LFA bantamweight champ. Uh, he debuted up a weight class against Damon Jackson, uh, dropping a decision. After that, he moved back to his a custom weight class and picked up a decision win over Nick Aguirre. And in his most recent appearance back in June, he took on Ronnie Lawrence in a matchup of interesting rising bantamweights. And it ended in one of the uh, worst referee impacted finishes of the year as Keith Peterson, while Argetta had Lawrence in a choke, pulled Lawrence's hand away to see if he was still awake. And when Lawrence's hand snapped back, he took that as Lawrence tapping and stopped the fight. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing, but it's not funny. It's, it's fucking terrible. Uh, at any rate, kind of like the fight we just saw at Noche UFC this past weekend, it was overturned to a no contest immediately upon review. Argetta robbed of what might well have been a legitimate submission win over a a very promising contender, but he's going to look to get his momentum back against Johns here. Johns, 29-year-old uh, Kansas native, Kansas City, is 13-2 and overall. He's 4-2 and since joining the UFC, also as the outgoing LFA Bantamweight champ and as a veteran of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series. He's coming in off of a win. He fought last November at the Zechikwu versus Kudalaba fight night and picked up a unanimous decision win over Vince Morales. Odds here, favor Argetta. He's minus 180, John's plus 150. Keith, uh, both these gentlemen are relatively young. John's is 29. Argetta just barely turned 30 last month. John's uh, looks like a standout athlete. He moves like a standout athlete. He's just 29 years old. He's four and two in the UFC. He has a couple of one punch knockouts. So why do I feel like you, I, and a lot of people are just shedding off of his bandwagon? Like, tell me what's wrong with Miles Johns and tell me how you think this fight goes. Yeah. So when Miles Johns first came to UFC and, and going back to like the LFA days when he was winning, you know, he won the LFA title and, I think about the contender series. I was still doing the like my in-depth previews of the contender series back then. So uh, like, I remember he went against Richie Santiago, and I was just like, and, you know, I'm from New England, and Richie Santiago is from Rhode Island. So I'm very, very familiar. Oh, well, actually, he's from Mass, but he fights in Rhode Island a lot. I'm very, very familiar with Richie Santiago. I've seen him fight in person at least 10 times. Um, he's not a UFC talent. So I thought, oh, my God, Miles John's going to slaughter him. And he, and he did, and then he ended up finding out he had, like, a torn ACL or, so, or so torn something and during that fight. And I go, okay. He, like, he beat up this guy, and he just looked like he was going to be a, a just a, a big-time prospect, like a Chad Mendez. Like, that's the guy I always think of, you know, his style. Or even going back to, like, a Tyson Griffin or, or something like this, this classic wrestle box, or really kind of like what Michael Chandler is. Mm -hmm. And I, I've eliminated wrestle boxer from my notes for Miles Johns. Because he's just not that anymore. I mean, he's 
he, and, and again, it's it's a little unfair because he's four and two in the UFC. So, uh, you know, not a bad record at all. But he's lost to guys that I didn't expect him to lose to. I thought he'd be top of the division fighting top ten ranked guys. That's like that's like I thought he was going to be. And just he's not. He's he's a short, compact guy. He uses a lot of feints to set up his shots. But he can be gun shy. I mean, he refused to let his hands go against Fitz Morales and made it a much closer fight than it needed to be. Uh, he, when he lets his hands go, he pumps out a good jab. He follows up with powerful hooks and uppercuts. But he tends to load up on every single punch. He's trying to end the fight with every single shot he throws. Uh, he does have mass bar. I'll give him that. He can crack. Yeah. But he also overthrows his shots, leaves him out of position to be countered or even taken down. This is an issue um, for him. And, and because he's trying to line up his shots so much, he struggles with guys who have good movement. I mean, go back to the Mario Batista, which is not a, has not aged poorly that loss. Like, Batista's good, but like, he struggled picking up the timing and the speed of Batista. Because um, it was like, yeah, I'm trying to throw this big bomb, but you keep moving. It was like hitting a moving target. Oh, yeah, obviously, that's, that's the point. Uh, he's got good leg kicks, but he doesn't check leg kicks. He has been a very good wrestler, and I say has – because he just, I mean, he's got very fast entries, good at winning scrambles, uh, but he's completely forgotten about his wrestling. And it really gets to the point where my, my recent note I put in there is maybe he hasn't forgotten about wrestling. He, maybe he just can't wrestle anymore. It's like one of these things where we look at guys and, and we give them, I mean, I've, you've heard me say this before, so this is more for someone who hasn't listened before, but like we call Henry Cejudo, you know, Olympic gold medals, which obviously is true. But he's not the best wrestler in the world anymore. Not close. <laughs> like not not. Henry Henry Suda wouldn't be top one hundred in his weight class right now. Um. So we do that with and we do that with all levels. Guy wrestling college must be a good wrestler. You wrestle in high school, oh, it must be pretty good. And it's like any other skill. If you don't use it, you lose it. And some of these guys, because they have a wrestling background, they they go away and they and they start working on. Oh, I got to work on my strength. I always got that wrestling in my back pocket, and that skill declines. You know, and I wonder if it's there anymore. Uh, he is very physically strong. If he grabs the leg, he can toss his opponents on the head. Really good ground and pound. Defense takedowns well. Uh, he, when he takes, he kind of makes guys pay for missed takedowns. He likes to like attack the head, guillotines, barbell chokes. Um, but because of that, he also does leave himself to lose position to weaker wrestlers. And he's made the mistake to give up his back to get back to his feet. I mean, and, and he's. He got submitted. I mean, John Castaneda submitted him, and he looked terrible in that fight. He never even had a moment in that fight. Now, Argeta, southpaw, high-volume striker, pocket fighter. He loves to get in the pocket, throw some big shots. He does make the mistake of dropping his hands a little bit, and he lacks head movement. So he gets tagged up, which is – Miles John's a guy you don't want to get hit by. He's a good wrestler, though. He'll, he'll close the distance, uh, and he does it pretty early. Nice entries. He's good at winning scrambles. He needs to improve his defensive wrestling. I mean, he struggled to stop takedowns from Damian Jackson. Uh, he also struggled to get back up. But he showed some pretty good submission defense against Damian Jackson, who had like his back for long periods of time and couldn't submit him. Uh, he's got some pretty decent back takes himself. But he, but he's a sloppy grappler. Like, he'll lose position to chase a submission. Uh, he also loves head attacks and sub attacks. Well, one thing I like about him, he's got good cardio. He can go hard all 15 minutes. These guys fight very similar. <laughs> so uh, I'm intrigued. I think we can start with some good action. I I bet on the fence on this one. I swear John still has the, 
the higher upside. If, if, if you told me one of these guys becomes a top 15 ranked fighter one day, I go, oh, wow, John's finally put it together. But I know our get is the one that's going to press the action. I know he's going to be the one to try to use. Like, he's not going to be in a wrestle. He'll have moments where he's trying to wrestle. John's fights down to his competition. And I've been backing this guy for a while. I'm not backing him anymore. I'm, I'm going the opposite. I'm going with Argetta. Give me Argetta to win a split decision simply based about him throwing more volume. Yeah, I like the, the breakdown there. I, I like kind of your life cycle of being a Miles Johns observer because mine parallels it in a lot of ways just from a different perspective. By the time he was on the Contender Series, and when he was on the Contender Series, that was June of 2019, I don't think we were doing a show together yet, but I was definitely already at Sherdog by that point. I was probably doing some duties uh, for the site r- related to that as well. And I didn't know much about Richie Santiago, but Johns was coming into that having spent most of his career in LFA, and that's back when LFA put on most of its events in Texas. So he had beaten Adrian Yanez for the LFA, the vacant LFA Bantamweight title in his fight before that, and he'd also already beaten Levi Moles, who were two of the best prospects in Texas at the time. I already thought of Yanez as someone who's probably bound for the UFC eventually. So yeah. and that's a good that was, win. That's a good it, win. That, that, that aged really well. It aged super well, even if it was a super close fight. And I don't remember. I probably didn't actively score, but it, it could have been either guy's fight. Yeah, I, I, I thought, th- okay, this guy definitely has a bright future ahead of him. I, I like your comparison of him to someone like Chad Mendez or... Michael Chandler were the combination of plus athleticism, that kind of stocky wrestler build, power wrestling, and just kind of tight boxing turns you into an elite fighter. But you're right. It's kind of he's sped through the phases of the wrestle boxer. He's he's 29 years old and he's already already his his wrestling is a a ghost of an echo of, of a myth. And you pointed out that sometimes they don't want to anymore because that's hard work. That's why Fedor never really took anybody down for the last 10 years of his career. And sometimes they can't. If you're a wrestler who gets most of your stuff off of inside trips from the clinch, or you're a funk guy that just your whole goal is to start a a scramble and end up on top, you can do that for a long time. If you have a cannonball double leg from the outside or, you know, like just a really fast single, you're one blown ACL away from not really being able to do that to good people, to good uh, opponents anymore. And that might, that might be John's. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, So yeah, there's, we don't know if that's a weapon that he still has in his arsenal and just isn't choosing to bring out, or he just can't anymore. If he can't anymore, just his power is going to be enough to get, get him past some people, but definitely endangers his upside as, as a future contender. Whereas I think Argetta is a guy of more modest skills and physical gifts who generally fights to his best advantage. I really do feel for him about the Lawrence fight. Cause I don't know if he was going to get the finish there. He lost out more than anybody by, uh, by Peterson fouling that up. Like and if he came into this fight on a two fight win streak, the line might look even different than it does, but I, I I'm with you here. <laughs> If John's fights the way he has in his last couple fights, his best route to victory is going to be catching Argetta with a huge overhead. Certainly he could do that, but that's not a way we've seen Argetta lose before. So 
Yeah, it, it, I, I've got to go with what I've observed from these two guys. And I, I think if the fight goes to the ground, it's probably going to be at Argeta's instigation and on his terms. And if it uh, stays on the feet, I I like Argeta to avoid uh, Johns's haymakers, pepper him with leg kicks, and, and kind of generally frustrate him. Give me Argeta by decision here as well. The five-fight main card of UFC Fight Night 228 begins with a men's featherweight matchup between Ricardo Hamos and Charles Jordan. Hamos, the 28-year-old Brazilian, is 16-4 overall. He is 7-3 in the UFC. He's coming in off a win, though it was over a year ago. Uh, he fought Danny Chavez all the way back at UFC on ESPN, Cater versus Emmett, last June, where he knocked him out in just over a minute with a spinning back elbow. Uh, he's been on the shelf ever since, but he steps back in here to try to make it two in a row against Jordan. Uh, 27-year-old from Quebec is 14-6-1 overall. He's an even 5-5-1 since joining the UFC as a former two-division champ in Canada's TKO promotion. He was the featherweight champ and the interim lightweight champ. He is coming in off a win as well. Took a unanimous decision over Crone Gracie at UFC 288 back in May. Prior to that, he had suffered back-to-back -back losses to Shane Burgos and Nathaniel Wood. Uh, odds here? Pretty close. Here, Keith, we'll do our first odds quiz of the night. Your favorite is minus 135. Your underdog is plus 110. Who are they? Um, wow. Is it, see, give me the odds one more time. Minus 135, plus 110. <laughs> I, I, I'm, that's how it should be. It should be close to pick them. Uh, Hamos. Hamos is... He's Your favorite, favorite is Charles Jordan at minus 135. Your <laughs> underdog, Hamos, at plus 110. Uh, all right. Well, uh, so you're picking the upset? <laughs> it depends. On, I, I'm picking one of the upsets, whether it's my line or their line. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm glad the line is close because, I mean, this is a really hard fight to pick. I, I like both guys. Like, I, I, I think they're both fun fighters. Uh, Charles Jordan. How could he not be a fan of Charles Jordan? I mean, he's a, he's a very good athlete. He's fast. He's explosive, high output. He he fought at one of the craziest paces I've ever seen when he fought against Shane Burgos. I mean, he basically was throwing four punches <laughs> straight, you know, at four punch combinations for like uh, the entire round. Uh, a, a lot of people, people think he should have got the win over Shane Burgos. Uh, at that time, it would have been a really good win. He constantly switching stances, really sharp left hand. I love his lead uppercut, which uh, – well, he loves a lead uppercut. I don't love it, but, you know, it's, it's fun. Uh, I go back to that. But I became a fan of him in the Andre Uwe fight where he was losing. He was getting pressured. It wasn't going well. And then, and then all of a sudden he just says, like, F this. I'm going to be the aggressor. And he fought an insane pace. Uh, like it's one of my favorite moments in him when he kicks him down <laughs> like the this is sparta moment yeah uh, I mean, it was fantastic now he can be too aggressive he can overthrow his shots and be open to counters he gets talking a lot but dude dude you know gives him credit like dude's got a pretty good like chin he's pretty durable uh he loves flying knees he, he throws a lot of hard kicks especially in the body he's an underrated grappler uh um, and he has a submission threat he's got four career subs he he was constantly looking for guillotines versus uh, Josh Kulbao, uh, and he caught Leonard Venado with one of them, so so that's something you have to be worried for. 
he got a lot of submission attempts from Shane Burgos, but he was uh, submitted. Um, was it Julian? Yeah, Julian Rosso caught him, right, in the submission. Yep. Um, he's got a pretty good get-up game, and he's got good cardio. Now move over to uh, Akato Hamas. You know, Hamas is a great athlete himself, Muay Thai striker. Uh, can be a little too patient for my liking. He throws some single strikes, but he's got a good kicking game, such dexterity in his hips. You toss up a high kick with ease. Uh, he loves the question mark kick, loves spinning attacks. I mean, going back a while, but I mean, his his knockout of Amos Sahabi was one of the best you'll ever see. Uh, he, he likes to work from distance. The key is to, to press him back on, you know, on his back foot. He doesn't like that. Um, I go to like the Tukov fight. That was how Tukov was successful by just do, pushing him back on his, uh, uh, you know, fighting on his heels. He likes to work in the Muay Thai clinch. He, he grabs that and he'll wear on his opponent. He doesn't get enough credit for his wrestling. Like he gets some upper body takedowns. He also showed some good wrestling defense against Zabara Tukov. Though we've talked about this past, I, I do think Tukov's grappling in in wrestling is overall. Um, a little overrated, but Hamas is a, he's a very good wrestler, strong top control. He's got seven submission wins. He has those long legs. So it makes it really hard to get him off your back. Um, the one thing I don't like about him is he plays BJ off his back. This is a fun action fight. Um, I kind of like both guys. Uh, Hamas is a more technical striker. He's the better grappler, but I'm going to go with the betting favorite. I'm going to go with Jordan. He's more explosive. He hits harder and really what it comes down to is the cardio and the output. I mean, it's a serious threat, especially when Hamos cruises at times. Give me Jordan, I say he wins by decision. Yeah, I I feel largely the same way about this one, where if I could be fully confident that Hamos would fight a smart fight and fight to his best advantage, I would probably favor him over Jordan. And while neither of these guys is completely reliable in that regard. I mean, Jordan is a 500 fighter in the UFC because his dedication to being an action fighter has led him. I mean, it's put him in the path of danger a few times. The, he lost the Julian Arosa fight. That is a fight he definitely should have won. Uh, of the two, I do trust Jordan a little bit more uh, in a case like this where I'm asking, well, Who's going to be the fresher guy in the third round if we get there? Who's less likely to give away a round he could have won? Jordan is the guy that's more likely to give Hamos a like single finishing opportunity with a poor decision or a defensive lapse. But outside of that, I feel kind of like the mental game variables mostly favor Jordan. And because of that, I'm leaning towards him here. But I agree with you. The, the line is... Uh, close and it should be close. No outcome in this fight would surprise me too badly, except I would be surprised if this fight was boring. This one here, if I'm handicapping it, this is my likely favorite for fight of the night. Oh, yeah. I don't know. The main event, though. I mean, the and the, co- and the co-main event. event. And the co-main event. <laughs> the co-main event could, could be a short fun fight or a long fun fight i'll yeah we'll get to that when we get to it next up on the ufc vegas 79 main card is a welterweight matchup between brian battle and aj fletcher battle the 28 year old from north carolina is nine and two overall 
He's 4-1 since joining the UFC as the middleweight winner of the 29th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, obviously, he won the show at middleweight. He started in the UFC at middleweight, but he has dropped to welterweight within the last year or so, and he's 2-1 and one in his new division with a win over Takashi Sato, a loss to Renat Fakhradinov, and most recently, a win over Gabe Green by a blistering 14-second knockout. That was in May at UFC on ABC, Rosenstrike versus Almeida. Uh, Battle will look to build on the momentum of that spectacular win, pick up his second win in a row at the expense of Fletcher. Uh, Fletcher, 26-year-old Louisiana native, is 10-2 and overall. He is 1-2 and since joining the UFC out of the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series. He opened up his UFC run with a pair of decision losses to Matthew Semmelsberger and Angelosa before picking up his first octagon win with a second round submission of Temba Garimbo back at UFC fight night Andrade versus Blanchfield in February. Odds here favor battle. He is minus 180. Fletcher is plus 145. I understand why battle is the favorite here because the the specific skills aside, and I'll get to those in a moment, the overall, uh, just the overall vibe of these two fighters spells a bad matchup for Fletcher because battle thus far, I mean, he's four and one in the UFC. He came in as a tough winner of, if we're being honest, pretty modest expectations. It didn't seem like a great season of tough. None of the guys seemed that great. Battle, he was good, but it's not like he was, off the charts generational prospect level but now he's four and one in the ufc and he's gotten there mostly by being pretty smart very durable he's outlasted some more physically gifted fighters especially in his fights at uh at middleweight and he you know as he's gotten more confident he started to unleash more of an offensive arsenal but you know i think of him as smart durable uh you know and and good cardio and he's going to get someone in, in Fletcher who is an absolute specimen of a human being and everything in his game runs on power but thus far his defense and his gas tank have left something to be desired namely defense and a gas tank that spells danger for for Fletcher I mean Fletcher he comes from the wrestle boxer mold he comes from a wrestling background you you watch him move. You watch any of his fights. He's a power wrestler. He's, you know, your classic. I mean, if we're going to talk old school, like Sean Shirk, like submarine double from the outside, he's fast entries. And he, he knows how to chain wrestle, but often he'll just power through. Like when he might be better served switching from a double to a single he might just hoist the guy and toss him uh which it works for as long as it works but again it does deplete his gas tank uh faster than it should striking wise he throws a variety of strikes offensively he's not he isn't just the overhand right fastball uh when he kicks his kicks are blisteringly hard uh he's got power in both hands but he overthrows his punches leaves his chin open. I still like Fletcher's upside. He is still just 26 years old. I mean, I, I again, I remember seeing him when he was 
21 and yeah was he even 21 okay he was 22 when i saw him i saw him win his second ufc fight sorry his second professional fight ever back in fury's first show in in louisiana back in 2019 and i kind of looked at my notes from that night and i had like star next to his name watch for this guy and had a little talk with him and, and his coaches uh that's the one I've told the story here before. It's the one where his opponent like broke his hand real bad, like almost compound fracture bone sticking out the top. And the doctor had already left. Like he left as, as he might've left midway through the, through the main event. It's, 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 it's a terrible, it's a terrible story. He had something else to do. I left the stove on. I gotta go. Yeah. Yeah. The tea time real early. Yeah. I, I don't know, but uh, it was, great. it was terrible. I never thought I'd be grateful for Texas regulation, but yeah, I, uh, I came home uh, a newly grateful man from Louisiana that night. Uh, anyway, Ben, did you, did you, did you say Texas? Hey, but that works for Louisiana too. I mean, it looks kind of like a, you know, uh, Andrea Lee's hat and she, she Texas, lives in Louisiana. Well, I, I, I'm going down to Texas in March. Oh, visit sweet. My, visit, visit my uncle in Dallas. So I'm unsurprised that four years later, AJ Fletcher is in the UFC by way of a spectacular knockout on the contender series. That's exactly what I would have predicted if, you, if you'd asked me in 2019. But at the same time, I would have hoped that there was a little more nuance to his game because really he's the same fighter he was when I saw him before. He's just moved past the, the point where he can overwhelm fighters with aggression and physical horsepower. Honestly, he's kind of like a, a, a Kosi brother from the Gulf Coast. Like, which one's the short Cozy brother? Lewis. No, yeah. Orion's the short one. Yeah. like Orion's, kind of, or, the, Orion's the better one. Uh, I don't know which I mean, shorter. Fletcher's not, not terrible, but yeah, it's, it's he's kind of like a, a Cozy brother where, you know, they came from like Northern California and kind of feasted on overmatched opposition early on, and they've had a learning curve in the UFC. Fletcher's in that same... Uh, is in that same area, but you know what? He's 26 years old. He hasn't taken much damage, even in his losses. Uh, he just kind of gassed out real bad and didn't have a second idea. And the loss to Semmelsberger in particular is nothing to be ashamed of. Ashamed of because Semmelsberger is just a an even bigger and maybe more diverse version of the same type fighter. I still have hope that that Fletcher's gonna stick around, and you know fulfill some of that upside but battle is a big ask here uh even if fletcher wins the say fletcher wins the first round say he clips battle with something real big on the feet or he just grounds him with an effortless takedown and spends three minutes of the first round kind of mauling him from on top and maybe working for topside submissions even if battle loses that first round 10 9 i'm feeling pretty comfortable with battle going on because he's going to make better adjustments between rounds he's going to get stronger as the fight goes on and I'm not sure about either of those things in the case of AJ Fletcher. So give me battle to uh, win here. I wouldn't be surprised if he were to pick up a sub of an exhausted Fletcher in the third round. Uh, but I haven't seen it yet. So I'm going to say Fletcher makes it to the final horn. Just maybe a little bit frustrated, discouraged, and very tired. Give me Brian battle by decision here. Yeah, this is um, this is a close one. Um, Brian Battle, one can even make weight. <laughs> you know, he's he's missed weight. Before. I think it was the last one he missed weight. 
Uh, he's he's a high volume striker who knows how to save power by just touching. But he did show off some power against Gabe Green. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That that extra three pounds was all yeah. in his glove. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he likes to march forward, but he also wants to keep his distance um, and, and kind of control the distance. He's got pretty good variety. He mixes punches and kicks together well. Uh, he's got a very good kicking game, a lot of teep kicks. He's got a beautiful high kick. Um, he, he sets up his left jab and his right kick together. Like he'll throw a left jab and then follow up with a right kick, which is which I love. Um, I love mixing punches and kicks together, but like opposite side is fun. Uh, he does keep his chin a little too high. He also rolls with punches, so he doesn't get hit clean. But I just I, I've never liked that technique. Uh, he he showed a good clinch game in dirty boxing. I'm going back to the on the show, but he you know he beat up Andre Petrowski in the clinch. Um, strong takedown defense, like you know um, I shouldn't say that, but his takedown defense is okay. Um, pretty good balance, a little bit like tall man's defense. When taken down, he, he he usually can work back to his feet. Uh, I go back to like Petrowski, you know, he took him down. He, he didn't panic. He's got four subs in his career, um, including you know beating like Gilbert Arbino by submission to to win the Ultimate Fighter show. Fletcher, he's a good athlete. He's a press striker, very controlled pace, good volume. Uh, he can fight out of both stances. Though he is a bit of a stationary target, he stands right in front of his opponent, and and he backs straight up to avoid strikes. Uh, he also rolls with punches, so that that's concerning. He can't fight from the outside because he's the shortest reach in the history of the division. I think they said uh, he he does use feints well to set up his shots. Uh, he loves his overhand rights. He's you mentioned he's got some serious power. Uh, he's exciting. He'll throw like flying knees and do some like stupid spinning attacks. Uh, he is a wrestler, not an elite wrestler, but you mentioned I think he's got a good double leg. Uh, it, it's it's. It's often he gets it when he's getting pressured back. He's kind of just very reactionary, very physically strong. You look at the guy is a ripped dude. Uh, grab a leg and throw his opponent. Uh, but he struggles if he gets taken down himself. And his gas tank's been an issue. Like, he had a really bad gas tank against Andre Losa, though his cardio was a little bit better against uh, Garimba, but still not perfect. Uh, but he gets a five-sub win, so he can also catch submission. Uh I flip-flopped in this one. I, I wanted to go with the upset because I, I can see the wrestling advantage, you know, but it, he, he can't wrestle for 15 minutes. That's the problem. He doesn't have the cardio to do that. And due to the length, you know, the length of battle and the you know, lack of reach with Fletcher, it, you know, that's such an advantage for battle. I'm going to go with battle. I want to say he, he dominates the stand-up, uh, especially as you – I think you mentioned it, especially – yeah, I think you mentioned it well, but especially as the fight goes on, I think I said – as the fight goes on, one of two things are going to happen. Either Battle's going to get worn down because he has no answer for the wrestling or the opposite where he's starting to get some – stopping some takedowns and because, you know, Fletcher has slowed down, I think that's what's going to happen. Fletcher's going to start slowing down. He's going to gas himself out with trying to wrestle so much and Battle was the decision. Third from the top at UFC Vegas 79 is a strawweight matchup between Marina Rodriguez and Michelle Watterson. Rodriguez, the 36-year-old Brazilian, is 16-3-2 overall. She is 6-3-2 since joining the UFC out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. 
she's coming into this fight on a two-fight losing streak, those being a third-round TKO loss to Amanda Lemos last November and a decision loss to Verna Janjiroba at UFC 288 in May. She will look to get back on track here and preserve any semblance of the momentum that had her in an arguable title eliminator just a little over a year ago against uh, Watterson. Watterson Gomez, I am so sorry. Uh, my my apologies to uh, to Mrs. Watterson Gomez. Uh, Michelle Watterson Gomez, 37-year-old American, uh, is 18 and 11 overall. She is 6 and 7 in the UFC since joining as a former Invicta Atomweight champ. She's on a three-fight losing streak. Those being uh, a loss to Rodriguez in their first meeting back in May of 2021, a submission loss to Lemos last July, and a split decision loss to Luana Pinheiro at UFC 287 in April. So Gomez has lost three straight. She's lost five of her last six. Never say never, especially about someone kind of as beloved as uh, the karate hottie, but she could well be fighting for her continued employment here or may just retire off a loss. Who knows? But uh, yeah, definitely two women in need of a win, one even more so than the other. The odds here heavily favor the Brazilian, perhaps given their relative momentum, given the result of their first fight. But Rodriguez is minus 310, Waterson plus 250 on the comeback. Keith, something I should have mentioned earlier on this card and throughout this card and have failed to do so is I was surprised in prepping how young some of these matchups are. Jacob Malkoon and Cody Brundage, both under 30. Hikarjo Hamos and Charles Rodin, both under 30. Battle and Fletcher that we just talked about, like 27 and 26. Even Argetta and Johns, where Johns is just barely 30 and Argetta is in his 20s. Here, Marina Rodriguez is 30 six and Michelle Watterson Gomez is 37. I was surprised yeah. at how old these two are, especially Rodriguez. Yeah. And they're kind of at the point where I don't think it's realistic for Watterson at all. No, you know, water Watterson's just become kind of the other Angela Hill, but Rodriguez, if she wants to make any kind of contender run, she needs to turn it around now, now, now to get a shot before she's 40. Uh, Tell me who you think gets it done here. And if you are picking Rodriguez, as I guess you are, handicap for me the chances of her getting back as close to a title shot as she was in her fight against uh, uh, against Lemos. Um, it's possible. It's not it's not in the realm of possibility, but it's it's getting to the point where yeah, I'd be more surprised that it happened than I than I wouldn't. It, it's kind of like um. When Glover Teixeira won the title, it was never like out of the possibility that he'd win the title. But like, if for her to, you, you just said come back to contention, but I'm, I'm adding in the, like winning the title. Yeah, because one time we thought she could win the title. It, it feel very Glover Teixeira-ish, and not to the extreme of how old Glover Teixeira. But my point is like, yeah, it's still and, there, but it's extreme, extremely and, unlikely. And and Glover's chance was effectively zero as long as John Jones was around, where there's not quite that kind of roadblock for for Rodriguez. Well, <laughs> Willie Shelley is starting to look like John Jones. <laughs> I mean, she's looked good recently. Yeah. Um, Marina, well, you know, I'm going to start with Michelle Watterson. Okay. You know, because she's so beloved and everything, and she's been around forever. Give, and because you're really respect. into karate. 
your your Blades favorite karate. karate fighter. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Which I I feel I like the uh, Cobra Kai show better than <laughs> Better Call Saul. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, Michelle Watson. She's she always had good footwork. Uh, you know, that's because she wants to keep the distance on the on the feet. She fights similar to her her friend Holly Holm, where she do that like sidekick to keep the distance. She likes to dart in and out of range and exit before you know landing some shot, exit before getting hit. Uh, she likes you know play a little cat and mouse thing. You know, having her opponent chase her and, and run into shots is another thing she likes to do, like chase, 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 and stop and land some shots and then move again. Uh, she's got a great kicking game. She likes hook kicks, oblique kicks. Uh, despite her size, she's always been a good clinch fighter. I mean, she's had success against a lot of fighters. Even in losses, like against Yoni and Jacek, she has success in the clinch. He, uh, Felice Harry. I almost said Heath Herrick. That would, that would be really impressive. Uh, Carolina <laughs> Kovacavich. Threw the Texas crazy horse all yeah, around the kid. That's it. <laughs> that's it. it was, see, everyone thinks it was, it was Brock Lesnar that sent him flying. It was, it was Michelle Watterson that sent him flying. <laughs> she, she was uh, behind Brock, so you couldn't see that's her. Right. That's right. That's <laughs> right. You know what? They could, <laughs> Michelle Watterson and Brock Lesnar could be like, you know that character in the Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles, or like the big guy with the little crane, yeah, a little brain in the stomach. That'd be like Michelle Watterson. I see Michelle Watterson and Brock Lesnar's stomach. <laughs> like take out that freaking sword that looks like a penis and put Michelle Watterson instead. Oh man, any any fighter who wants to get a tattoo of Michelle Watterson Gomez on their chest, my favorite fighter forever. Please please do it. No 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 don't don't put some other guy's wife tattoo on, on your chest Don't do okay that. mr gomez if you okay he could do it he could do it uh, i'm not gonna and guys don't ask me if michelle watterson was one of the sorority guys the girls at the one of the sorority girls at my party yeah. <laughs> um so she likes getting a clinch you know she has a little bit of a judo background she looks for trips she loves that head and arm throw she's one of the few female fighters that are actually really good at it though so i'll give her credit to that though i still i still hate it uh when she's on top she's despite being small she's got a strong top game uh she gets some good back takes uh, but she's 37 and we've seen a decline she's gotten slower um she's gotten thrown herself she also seems disinterested it seems like this is just a paycheck to her at this point like she knows too you know what it is uh, you know, you don't hear her talking about title shots and, and, and winning the title again or anything like that. Marina Rodriguez, she's she's big for the weight class, long and lengthy, good athlete, one of the best strikers in the division, high volume, you know, uses a lot of pressure. She attacks a combination. One of the true hardest hitters in the division. She, I mean, she can crack. Uh, some great kicks. Uh, I love her step in knees. She's good at getting the clinch and using her size. And she's one of the best at framing, like getting the clinch and then using, you know, Good head position, good, uh, you know, forearms, elbows, just moving her, her opponent into position to land some hard, hard knees. Uh, her defensive wrestling has improved against lower level wrestlers like Cynthia Calvillo's. Um, but, you know, she's still taking down by Carlos Espaza. Um, Young Chanon took her down. Verde Jandaroba took her down. So, like, as soon as I, I was turned the corner on Marina Rodriguez's defense result. She's sure that she still has uh, an issue, you know, issues. She is a submission threat, but to her credit, she's got some pretty good sub defense. I mean, she didn't get submitted by Vernon Jandaroba. Mackenzie Dern could not get a sub on her. Like that's, that's an accomplishment. Um, but she 
that said, she still struggled to get off the bottom with Vernon Jenderobi. And I'm still worried about a chin. I mean, she got absolutely starched by Amanda Lemos. If Wardison tries doing her like in and out game against Rodriguez, I just expect her to get butchered. Uh, I expect her to look like uh, Josh Frem did the other day. Oof. So I really only see Waterson's avenue for victory is to close the distance to battle the clinch. And she's definitely the more technical clinch fighter, but she's always been small. But next to Rodriguez, she's going to be really small. Um, Rodriguez has proved a grappling. We saw that against McKenna Turn. I, I just I can't see. Like you mentioned it, or did start the card that this is like a bounce back fight, but with like a name, so it seems. Like it's not, you know, seems like it's a much bigger test. I really don't see it, you know. I don't trust Waterson's durability anymore. I expect her to have a huge advantage on the feet, stronger. I, I don't think this is the retirement fight for Michelle Waterson, though, like it could be. Like it wouldn't shock me. Um, but I do expect, like, this is just the continued of the ending of her career. Uh, I'm not saying this is like, so I want to be clear. I'm not saying this is her last fight, but I'm saying, like, the movie's ending. The movie's wrapping up. You know, shows shows over. So I say Rodriguez hurts her. Hurts her on the feet, and I I don't think she's gonna finish her because Michelle Waterson is so like historically tough. But Rodriguez wins by decision. Yeah, it's it, it's it's easy to go back to their. I mean, again, they fought recently enough that it's still relevant. It what was it? Uh, oh yeah, it was like two two years ago. They, they I, think, years I, ago. I think Waterson got it down, didn't she? I think she did. Like, the one round she won was uh, fourth round, and I, I think that's where uh, she finally did get it down. I mean, she had her moments in in the other, like, in, in the earlier rounds as well, but that fight, I mean, it was a five-round fight. It was at 125 pounds, which they're both straw weight, so it theoretically didn't favor one over the other, but... That favored Rodriguez over Waterston Gomez. You know, you get, <laughs> uh, giving an extra uh, 10 pounds to the woman with such a bigger frame. Uh, I like your breakdown of their skills. When Rodriguez reached the UFC out of uh, Dana White Contender Series Brazil, she was an undefeated prospect. Uh, a good amount of her early fights were available because she'd fought in places like Aspera and Chudo Brazil. And she looked a little bit like the second coming of Ioana Janjacek. Uh, she was a, a long, lengthy Muay Thai striker who was good at keeping women at range. Really, on the regional Brazil scene, it wasn't takedown defense so much as takedown avoidance. She was just able to keep women on the end of her, her teeps and jabs or grab the clinch first if they, they crashed the pocket against her. So her takedown defense was more untested than anything, but... I think you're right. Uh, Rodriguez's takedown defense has come a, a certain way since her fight with, like, uh, her her fight with Esparza. Her sub defense is actually quite sturdy. But the relevant thing in this fight is that this is just a bad matchup for Michelle Waterson Gomez. On one hand. Michelle Waterson Gomez is under 500 in the UFC. She's six and seven, but even more so than Angela Hill that I compared her to before. Gomez has no bad losses in the UFC. She's six and seven because she came to the UFC as a former champ from another promotion, even if 
the UFC doesn't even have an atomweight division. And then she just has a certain level of marketability that forces that has forced the UFC to put her in high profile fights. All of her losses are to top 10 fighters, if not higher. Here's who she's lost to. Rose Namajunas, Tisha Torres, Ioana Janjacek, Carla Esparza, Marina Rodriguez, Amanda Lemos, and Luana Pinheiro. That's it. So she's on a three-fight losing streak right now, and what do they give her? A rematch against someone who already beat her. Like, Michelle Waters and Gomez cannot catch a break. Uh, we've talked about her skills a lot because she's been a fairly busy fighter in the years that we've been doing this. Yeah, the karate hottie thing is super ironic once she gets in the cage, but to her credit, if you've, I mean, I remember seeing Michelle Waterson Gomez at open workouts. I, I don't know about now when she's 37, but when she was in her early 30s, and she did stuff that looked like it belonged in a movie and maybe an animated movie at that. Just, you know, like snapping like butterfly kicks in, you know, 360 degree spinning kicks, like flipping all over the place, like a Powerpuff Girl or something. It must be a, it must be a, uh, Jackson Wink thing because she and John Dodson will both do things at open workouts that look like they belong in a movie, but then there's never a hint of it in the cage. Uh, here, maybe I'm just talking to Phil Space because we both know how this fight's going to go. Uh, <laughs> Waterson Gomez, we know what she wants to do. You know, if she had her way, she'd crowd Rodriguez, keep her on the back foot, shove her into the cage either just kind of maul her on the cage with her surprising physical strength and leverage or look for takedowns from there. I mean, Rodriguez is far more skilled, but has almost the exact same body type and proportions as Courtney Casey, who, whom Waterson Gomez completely bullied and threw all over the place. Uh, just Rodriguez isn't going to be there for that. I'm with you. Uh, Waterson Gomez having to come inside to do any of the things she wants to do plays right into Rodriguez's uh, hands and feet. Uh, I expect Rodriguez to kind of carve up the karate hottie, maybe even worse than she did in their first fight because they fought that fight at kind of a five-round fight pace. Here, if there's more urgency, that just favors Rodriguez even more. Give me Rodriguez by lopsided decision here. Uh, and just a kind of probably frustrated and bruised up uh, Michelle Waterson Gomez at the end of it all. That brings us to the co-main event of UFC Vegas 79, a featherweight matchup between Bryce Mitchell and Dan Ige. Mitchell, the 28-year-old from Arkansas, is 15-1 overall. He is 6-1 since joining the UFC just a little over uh, five years ago. He took his first professional loss, his first UFC loss, in his last outing. That was at UFC 282 back in December, where he was pretty thoroughly dominated by Ilya Tapuria on the way to a second-round submission loss. Uh, he will look to get back on track as a as one of the most intriguing rising contenders in this division at the expense of Ige. Uh, Ige, 32-year-old Hawaiian, is 17-6 overall. He is 10-5 since joining the UFC as one of the most successful products of Season 1 of Dana White's Contender Series. His UFC run, 15 fights, has been full of ups and downs, a couple of streaks, but he is currently on a winning streak. He comes into this uh, his third 
UFC appearance this year, already 2-0 for 2023 with a second round knockout of Damon Jackson in January and a unanimous decision win over Nate Landwehr in June at UFC 289. Ige will look to make it three in a row, continue the slide of Mitchell, steal a little more of Mitchell's remaining thunder, but he is not favored to do so. Uh, Mitchell is your moderate favorite at minus 180. Ige available at plus 155 on the comeback. Keith, remind the viewers, the listeners, what went wrong for Mitchell in taking his first career loss uh, last December? And uh, tell me how you think he does at getting back on track against Ige. Um, what went wrong is <laughs> a little bit of everything went wrong. I mean, he got his ass handed to him. Um, no, I, you know what What happened to him? He went against Ilya Taporia. And Taporia is this, probably the second or third best featherweight in the world. You know, um, I mean, obviously, Volkanovski is one, and then you could debate between Holloway and Ella Taporia for two and three. And that happens, you know. Um, he got out grappled, he got out struck, he got out wrestled. I mean, he was just, Taporia was better than everywhere. Now, um, we've, last time Mitchell was supposed to fight, he was um, he was scheduled to go against uh, Mosar Evloev, and we actually previewed it. So I'm not going to rewrite my notes. I'm just going to use the same notes I had then. So this is just me reading him again. So uh, Mitchell Southpaw that has very underrated striking. He, he does well to press the action and force his opponents to his back foot. He likes to march down his opponents with this like fearless attitude. Uh, he has underrated power, and that's because he lands shots. He shouldn't because his opponents are so concerned with his takedowns. Kicks are a big part of his game. Uh, lots of kicks to the legs. He follows his kicks to get into the pocket. Uh, he's got good entries to set up well because you know he's forcing his opponent on the defense. He loves that like Glover Teixeira styles, like snatch single. Uh, I think he's a bit of a wizard on the ground. Yeah, sure. I know he got beat up by Deport on the ground, but he's still really good himself. Good at winning scrambles, constantly keeping his hips moving and following the hips. Strong, smothering top game. Some really slick back takes. He's creative with his grappling. I mean, he's hit. He had a twister in, in one by twister and almost got it again. Good flexibility. I mean, he beat up a guy like Charles Rosa on the ground. But, you know, I've said this before. I'm, he made Charles Rosa, who's a black belt, look like a white belt. Now, he can be taken down himself. Uh, one thing he does, he looks for switches when getting someone's taking him down instead of, you know, creating a, you know, no, trying to look for a switch and creating a scramble instead of trying to like sprawl or something like that, which um, it's, it's more fun to watch, but I, I don't think it's the best strategy. Uh, and he was obviously easily submitted by Ila Tapora, so that's concerning. Uh, one thing we – so this is one, one note I, I want to mention. So he's had a back injury. And one thing we don't do on this show is is focus on injuries enough. Now, you talked earlier about Miles Johns and how that might have changed him as a fighter. I, I wonder about this back injury. And obviously, he's a quick return, so it's not something super, super serious. But we've seen guys who get back injuries and never be the same. Um, Dana Cormier had to retire. Michael Chiesa was never the same. Uh, I go back to like Tito Ortiz. I know Tito Ortiz was like a neck, neck spinal thing, but he was but never the same. Same. And he had Chris Weidman. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Weidman, there's another good one. Mm-hmm. And and obviously, we have in so many other sports. You, you, you talk about you know guys in other sports, they talk, focus on injuries. We don't do that here. So that's something that we probably should do a little bit more of. Uh, Danny Gay. It gets tough, man. This is a tough match, you know, coming back. 
Ige is a, he's a pressure fighter, pretty good, good everywhere, well-rounded, good volume, accurate. He throws combinations. He loves getting in the pocket and unloading big shots. He likes to his counter right hand and his left hook combination. Uh, he, he's one guy who rips the body. I mean, he tore up Damon. Excuse me. Damon Jackson with, with power shots. He's, he's, I mean, he, he throws hard. Uh, I, I like that he whips his uh, his shots around like a high guard defense. Um, K, his KO of Damon Jackson was beautiful. Uh, he's got the cardio to go all 15 minutes. The concern I've had, and I've said this for a while, and, and, and luckily we haven't seen recently, but he's taken a lot of damage over the years. So he's, he's fought the who's who's and he's been in wars. I mean, Edson Barbosa, Calvin Cater, uh, the Korean Zombie, Josh Emmett, Mostar Evelyn. I mean, he's fought studs and, 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 you know, got beat up a little bit. So he's taking a lot of damage. He's got some strong leg kicks. He he th- he loves throwing a flying knee, but it's mostly just to get his opponent to back up to close the distance. He's a sneaky wrestler, good at timing on his entries. Uh, he'll do it a lot with, like, throwing big power shots up, kind of forcing his opponents to raise their hands up and shoots underneath. Good overall grappler, good top control, good ground pound. He's a BJJ black belt. Uh, I'm glad that the odds are close because th- this is a fun fight. I'm on the fence. I am going to go with Mitchell. Mitchell's bigger. He uh, He's got the better output. I think he uses his pressure to force Ige to fight a lot on his back foot. And I say Mitchell gets some take. Like, I think we're going to have some scrambles. I think we're going to have some, like, some fun scrambles. But Mitchell's bigger. And um, he controls a little better than, than Ige. I, I see Mitchell winning this. I'll say Mitchell by decision. Yeah, I – unless Mitchell is seriously compromised either by his injury or by – Frankly, the personal stuff he's got going on, like he has a lot of outside of the cage things happening in his life right now that he's been very open about, just cruised to his social media and you can see videos and posts about it. The guy's always been an open book, Uh, you know, and the temptation is to kind of go in on those things and make a little bit of fun. And I am restraining myself just because I don't want to put that out into the universe and then feel like an asshole about it when something tragic happens. So just suffice it to say that he has, he's had some outside of the cage distractions over the last year or so that in a guy who again, kind of wears his heart on his sleeve and is as open about what's going on in his life as Mitchell could be distractions. And I agree with you, Keith, that we maybe should focus a little more on injuries and specifically nagging injuries that or you know injuries that can change the way a fighter fights and we also tend to shy away from intangible stuff except in very rare cases but you know i'm bringing it up because it's worth mentioning at the heart of it he's a 28 year old dude uh who's real real good at this fighting thing and has a knack for saying some outlandish things and getting in some outrageous situations outside of the cage. For the most part, he's fought through it. I mean, again, he's 15 and one, but whatever it is that he's got going on certainly isn't going to be a help. Uh, Having said that, the stylistic matchup favors him here. Ilya Taporia was the first guy to flat out win the wrestling battle against Mitchell. Uh, In that fight, that fight only went to the ground when Taporia wanted it to and why. 
And because of that difference, Tapuri is vastly faster hands and superior uh, power on the feet, tortured Mitchell as well. And uh, he basically had his way with them on the ground. It, I mean, it was a washing, but it all started from Tapuria was demonstrably the better wrestler. Up until then, it had been Mitchell all the way. And the UFC had managed to bring Mitchell along very slowly and reasonably. Uh, I mean, Mitchell's, I mean, he's not Korean zombie in that Dana White was wearing his, his T-shirt, you know, like two fights into his UFC run. But this is a guy that requested a pair of camo shorts when he was basically nobody and got it. Uh, but, and when you see a potential star like that, you know the UFC's tendency is to push them along too quickly, give them a little too much too soon, just look no further than, you know, Sage Northcutt, Chase Hooper. I, I mean, I could keep going. Uh, but Mitchell just, his first three or four opponents in the UFC were low-level featherweights. He finally, in his last couple fights, Andre Feely, good test for the time because Feely, an underrated wrestler, and uh, Wiley, tough to get out of there, and Mitchell proved the superior wrestler. Then Edson Barboza, a guy that even in 2022, if you can't threaten them with the takedown and you're not Giga Chikadze on the feet, he's going to blister you. Ask Shane Burgos. Uh, and he passed all those with flying colors. Uh, he ran into Taporia. He was not the superior wrestler for once, and that let all of other all of Taporia's other advantages uh, really come into play. Here, as much as I like Dan Ige, I like him as a person. I've interviewed him multiple times. He is the goodest of good dudes. And as much as I like him as a fighter, I mean, it takes a lot for a fighter to name himself 50K and for me to be A-OK -okay with that. Uh, but as much as I like him, this is a step back in the direction uh, for Mitchell of favorable matchups because Ige is an underrated wrestler, both offensively and defensively. But I don't think he's going to be able to stop Mitchell's takedowns. And if he can't, that sort of tilts everything else in Mitchell's favor. The kind of the reverse of the Taporia fight. Uh, Ige is probably a harder hitter than Mitchell. And if not for the takedown thing, Ige generally doesn't have any problem getting inside the reach of taller, longer fighters. Almost everybody Ige fights is taller than he is at 145. Almost everybody has reach on him. And he's very good at getting into range, even if he has to take one punch to land, to land two once he gets inside, punctuate that with a leg kick. He's developed a striking style that really works well with his frame and his athletic gifts. But none of it matters because I think Mitchell's going to be able to get this thing to the ground. Uh, Ige has good power, underrated power, but he doesn't have the kind of power that's just going to leave Mitchell face down and snoring if he catches them once clean. So even if uh, Mitchell doesn't get his first takedown attempt, doesn't get his second, those attempts are going to wear Ige out a little bit. They're going to make him more wary. They're going to cut into whatever advantages Ige has on the feet. I think if Mitchell is persistent, and I think he will be, he's not Patty Pimblett. Mitchell knows where he wins his fights. He's not this guy that just stands and bangs to give the people a show. He's always trying to get the fight to the ground. 
I think by late in the first round, he's probably going to be able to get Ige to the ground. Maybe he doesn't get enough time to work there to really get him in trouble. But it's hard for me to say this about a guy in Ige that has fought great opposition and he's never been finished. But I, I could see that going away here. Uh, give me Mitchell by second round submission. Um, and yeah, it'll be a sad day because again, Danny gave 15 fights into his UFC career. He's fought all up and down the roster. He's fought multiple title contenders, and he's never been even in real danger of being finished. But I could see it happening here. I don't think he's going to be able to stay off the ground, and I don't think he's going to be able to keep Mitchell off him when they are on the ground. So give me Bryce Mitchell by second round submission here. With that, we arrive at the main event of UFC Fight Night 228, a lightweight contenders match between Rafael Fiziev and Mateusz Gamrot. Fiziev, the 30-year-old Azerbaijani by way of Thailand, is 12-2 overall. He is 6-2 in the UFC. Uh, he lost his debut all the way back in 2019, then rattled off six straight wins on his way into the top 10, if not top 5, and the title picture before running into Justin Gaethje at UFC 286 in March. He ended up dropping a majority decision there, although it was a sensational fight and a pretty close one, one that Keith, among other people, actually thought Fiziev should have won. Uh, he has been out ever since, but he returns here looking to reaffirm his contender status against Gamrot. Uh, Gamrot, 32-year-old Pole, is 22-2 and with one no contest. Overall, he's 5-2 and since joining the UFC uh, just almost exactly three years ago. He fought most recently at UFC 285 in March, picking up a split decision over Jalen Turner. He will look to uh, make it two wins in a row and certify himself a title contender as well. Keith, your favorite in this fight is minus 155. Your underdog is plus 130. Who are they? Um, Fizio is the uh, favorite. You are correct. Fiziev is minus 155. Gamrot, your former KSW two-division title holder, is plus 130. Keith, Rafael Fiziev took Justin Gaethje down to the wire back in March. You, uh, as well as about a third of observers, thought he should have won it. Uh, just about every observer thought it was uh, the best fight of the night and one of the best of the year. Sure. And then Justin Gaethje, since then, knocked Dustin Poirier out of his boots to become the BMF. So that loss has aged all right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, who you got in this one, and uh, how do you think the fight plays out? Yeah, this is an incredible fight. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited just from a stylistic matchup. I'm, I'm super high on both these guys. I mean, how could you not be? Um, I mean, he's, he's an incredible striker. A guy, he can, he can fight out of both stances, flow so well. Um, one of these guys where it's, I think he's better Southpaw, but he might be just as good from the orthodox, super technical, uh, fast, throws straight shots, accurate. Uh, he attacks with combinations within the pocket, super uh, like explosive. I mean, he returns so fast, so it's really hard to counter him. Uh, he's He's got a high guard defense that's hard to get around. He's got some, some incredible... Head movement. They always talk about that, like matrix movement. But I mean, all the rest of his stuff. How he just just slides out of the way of shots. Uh, he's 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 not a huge power knocker guy, but he's like he's got plus power. Uh, you know, it's more about him landing accurate and clean punches than anything. Phenomenal kicking game. 
good calf kicks, good high kick, uh, loves spinning attacks. He, I mean, his knockout of Brad Riddell with that spinning wheel kick is one of the best knockouts you'll ever see. Um, mm-hmm. If inside, he, he's he's got a strong Muay Thai clinch, batters him in the knees. He's not underrated wrestling. He doesn't use his wrestling often, and he's very hard to take down. Uh, but he, he does have it in the back pocket. He doesn't wrestle enough. He should wrestle just to kind of keep his opponents honest. Um, and, you know, he's I think he's he's got a couple – how many submissions does he have in the screen? He's got a couple of submissions too, I think. So uh, something to watch out for. He just has one, but he's threatened oh, just a one, few times. Right? Yeah. Why did I think it was one of that? Okay. Um, Gamera, Gamera Southpaw, really great athlete himself. Uh, he's he's – Talk, people don't talk about his striking enough because of how good his wrestling is, but he can strike. He's very, especially with the mid range. He's got some quick hands, technically sound, accurate, throws straight shots down the pipe. Uh, I like the way he moves. Good footwork. He cuts angles really well when attacking. You know, switches stance mid attack. He's got some good pop. I mean, you go back to like he he smoked Scott Holtzman, hurt him, hurt Sarukin in their fight. Though he, he can eat some shots himself. I mean, go to like the Kudalatsi fight. He ate some shots. Saruki, let's fly Jalen Turner. He ate some shots. Uh, yeah. But he is, you know, on the ground, he's a wizard. I mean, fast entry, so good again to the second level and cutting angles, drive right through the hips. You know, um, other than Benil Darius, he's really taking everybody down fairly easily. I mean, Benil Darius is the only guy he's really struggled with. I mean, Benil Darius is so freaking good, too. Uh, mm-hmm. So he, he can dive in desperately without setting up. Like against Jalen Turner, he dove in sometimes. But sometimes it's not even about driving through the hips. It's just closing distance and creating a scramble because he usually wins those scrambles. Great top game. I mean, like I go back to the Jeremy Stevens fight. He, I mean, he subbed him so quickly. And now that is, you know, end of his career, Jeremy Stevens. So so take what it was worth. But just like how how well he flowed was, was super impressive to me. Uh, he he can he can go for leg locks, which I hate, but he's he's good at them. But a lot of times he'll just do something like that just to create a scramble. It's all about scrambles with him. Uh, I go back to the, the Sarukin fight. He was like hitting Granby rolls and stuff, and he showed great cardio. I mean, he can go five rounds, so he's got the advantage in. in I mean, I'm no physio winning against RDA in five rounds too. So I, but just much he, he went five rounds in a much more competitive fight than physio had against RDA. This is an amazing fight. Like both guys are so well rounded, but I really feel like even though I'm talking about how you know well rounded they are, I still think that Fiziev has the advantage on the feet. If you know if it's a, mostly a striking battle, then it, you're feeling good about Fiziev. If it's mostly you know close distance on the ground fight, you're feeling good about Gamera. Uh, I flip flopped a bunch of times in this fight, but I'm gonna go with the upset. I'm gonna go with Gamera is so intelligent. He's he's, you know, I go back to the Sarukian fight. Like, if you told me that he was going to outgrapple Sarukian, um, not that I didn't think he had the ability to outgrapple Sarukian, but as the fight went along, the advantage in the grappling just grew, and it became to the point where at the end of the fight, I was like, "Wow, he's a much better grappler of these two. That was so impressive to me. I. He didn't look. I mean, he obviously outgrappled Jalen Turner, but like there was, he didn't look great at times. But Jalen Turner is so long, and he's underrated on the ground himself. And so I give him a little pass on that. Obviously, Fizzy is not built the same way. I think he closes the distance. I think he makes this a twenty-five minute grappling contest for the most part. And I think Gamrat wins. I'm gonna say Gamrat wins an upset decision victory. All right. 
Keith goes with the upset in the main event. Uh, and I like the pick, even if I'm not sure I agree with it, just because the the route to victory that you've painted for Gamrot, it's, it, it reflects so well what he's done on his way up to this point. I, the funny thing is, yeah, he he barely lost to Gurum Kutiladze in his debut, but then he, he rattled off four wins in a row and pr- got thrown into deep waters pretty quickly. I mean, we just finished talking about Bryce Mitchell and what a slow build the UFC gave him. Well, Gamrot, again, dropping into the UFC on as an, an undefeated fighter and a two-division champ from KSW got no such break. I mean, beats Scott Holtzman, beats Jeremy Stevens, then he gets Diego Fajeda, perennial top 10 fighter, and Armand Saruki in his, in his next two fights. But he's responded incredibly well. And we talked sometimes about fighters who fight down to their level of competition, but he's just proven... I mean, he's either improving from fight to fight or he's just the kind of guy that fights up to the level of his competition. I probably underrated him even as he was winning fights. I've come around now and I think that Gamrod is a legit title threat, especially considering that the kind of Gaethje, Poirier, Chandler, Oliveira, old guard is one old to have been beating the crap out of each other for years. I mean, like all those guys are getting into their their later 30s and have a ton of tread off the tires. Gamrot's a guy that could stay in the title picture for a few years to come. Uh, yeah, he's he ran you know he ran into Benil Darius, who is a good wrestler and an outstanding grappler himself, and just a very big, very strong lightweight. And then Jalen Turner, that as you pointed out, has an underrated ground game and is a titanic lightweight. So his difficulties getting the fight to the ground as easily as, as he's accustomed to in those two fights. Don't tell me as much about how he'll do against someone like uh Fiziev, who, as you mentioned, he's small and compact for the division and is just a stunning athlete. You, you mentioned that he has those moments of like, almost like matrix movement on the feet. And it's interesting to see that out of him. Cause normally when you talk about someone like that in MMA or in a striking uh, discipline, we usually think of taller, rangier guys like that. Like you have Anderson Silva that has moments like that. Israel Adesanya, yeah, yeah. Sean O'Malley. To see Fiziev, who he's built like Michael Chandler. He's a muscular, yeah. broad, stacked five foot eight guy. I mean, if you took a look at Rafael Fiziev, and I say this guy's five eight, probably walks around 175 pounds, and he's from Azerbaijan, you'd be like, oh, he's a wrestler. And of course he's not. He's a, yeah, yeah, you know, he's, a he's a Muay Thai instructor at, at Tiger Muay Thai. Uh, but no, you're you're absolutely right. He gets in those moments where uh, he's so fast and his movement is so economical and so well practiced that it almost becomes irrelevant to argue which stance he's better at fighting out of because the concept becomes almost meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It. It's more like watching young Mike Tyson boxing where he was a short, muscular, broad guy, but his head movement and his like his peekaboo were so incredible that just everyone else was swinging at air. He was coming back with bombs and the fights were all over in two minutes. Uh, that's a little bit what like Rafael Fazeev's head and upper body movement like remind me of. Only he's in a, in a sport where he can kick too. Uh, 
obviously, you laid out the main crux of this fight. Can Gamrot get Fazeev down? And if he can't get him down right away, can he get him down later in the fight? Because they do have five rounds to work here. Uh, that's what it all kind of hinges on, because these are two smart fighters. Uh, you you mentioned Gamrot's extremely smart. Gamrot knows that he might be able to hang on the feet. He knows that his best chances of victory are going to lie on the ground to win rounds at the very least, if not threatened with actual uh, finishes. He knows that, and Fazeev knows that. Fazeev's a good wrestler, and he's proven himself perfectly comfortable when the fight goes to the ground, but he knows his best advantages lie on the feet. So, yeah, it all comes down to, is Gamrock going to be able to get this fight to the ground, and is he going to be able to avoid the artillery coming his way while he tries? This isn't even one of those fights where we're going to know 90 seconds in which way that's going to go because yeah. it's something that could evolve over the course uh, of five rounds. Agreed. Uh, Fazeev knocks a lot of people out, and sometimes he does so with a shocking spinning head kick out of nowhere. But even in those cases, it's something that he's been measuring them for for a while. So I, I would actually be surprised by uh, by an early finish in this fight. Both guys are too good, and Fazeev, who's probably more of, has more of the quick strike capability, is too measured. I think Fazeev is going to be able to stay on his feet enough at least to win rounds. I think this is going to be a back-and-forth fight. I think it'll be an instant contender, uh, you know, for fight of the year. And I think it'll be an instant contender for fight of the year, whether it ends up being a Rafael Fazeev fight or a Mateusz Gamrot fight. Uh Gamrot's fight against Saruki in last summer was one of my most enjoyable fights ever that spent that much time on the ground. Yeah, like same. I it's it didn't win our fight of the year. It was never going to. No. But it's the fight from it's one of the few five round fights from last year that I've rewatched for a reason other than tape study. With as many fights as I have to watch, yeah. I don't go back and watch many fights on I an Iwana basis. Yeah, yeah I understand. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you get exactly what I mean. So if this turns into a Gamera fight, it's still going to be incredible. If yeah. it stays a Fizzy fight, it's going to be incredible. And if it ends up being kind of a mix of the two from round to round, as I kind of expect, it's going to be incredible. It's so, even better. It'd be even better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, This could be the, I mean, these guys are good enough. And they have good enough coaching that there will be adjustments between rounds. We could see actual swings of momentum. We could see one guy start to get tired quicker than the other. Like, I'm getting more and more excited for this fight the more I talk about it. But I like Fazeev to win this fight. If he's smart, he'll start hacking away at Gamrot's legs early uh, and maybe give himself a little insurance from the takedown onslaught as, as those start to take effect. That's what I hope he Well, I say I hope he does because I think that's his best route to victory. You know, I don't hope either guy wins, except that I hope my pick is right and yours is wrong. But uh, <laughs> uh, but give me Fazeev by a decision here in a fantastic fight and uh, to move himself one step closer to a title shot without pushing Gamrot too far back. This could be the kind of fight that doesn't do any real damage to either guy's stock. Yeah, I agree. That's, I think they did a really good breakdown there, my man. And that is it. The Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 228, Fiziev versus Gamrot, also known as UFC Vegas 79. 
I've been Ben Duffy. He has been Keith Schillen. If this is your first time listening to or watching one of our previews, first of all, thank you. We hope you enjoyed it. We do our best to blend in-depth analysis with occasional story time or humorous asides. Uh, we flatter ourselves that we do so as well as anybody in the business. Please do like, subscribe, share, drop us a comment on the YouTube uh, page. Keith and I both man the comment section. We're both good about responding to those. I promise you that we both read every single one of them and we definitely appreciate it. But most importantly, join us for the recap. We will be live on the SureDog YouTube page about 15 minutes after the main event. We'll talk about all 11 of these fights in reverse order from the main event all the way down to that, okay, not crucial, but interesting uh, women's bantamweight curtain jerker. We will talk about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. There's always something. And we'll talk about what's next for some of the notable winners as well as losers. And we'll talk with you. The comment section, the live chat is open that whole time. So we're taking your questions, your comments, and your hot takes in real time. We have a growing community of friends that hang out with us after the fights, and we would love for you to be part of it. Between now and then, thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and by all means, enjoy these fights.